Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I f***ing love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for us tonight. Big job there for Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Oh, down goes Duffy. Oh, cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe there are a couple of absolutely self-involved bull- here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Gotta love Mondays, right? Anybody out there have a case of the Mondays? Not here. Monday, February 26, 2024. It's episode 470 of the Anik and Florian podcast presented by DraftKings. If you're watching us on the DraftKings network, we appreciate that. Full episodes of the show on the video side are always yours on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Clips on the Anik and Florian Podcast YouTube channel. You can follow the show at Anik Florian Pod. Lot to get into today. We will recap UFC Fight Night Moreno versus Roy Vol 2. We will also get you predictions for the heavyweight main event coming up this weekend between Biggie Boy Jarzinho Rosenstrike and the undefeated Shamil Gazeev. Kenny, a lot of response to our post about the best fighters in UFC history to have never won the undisputed title. Certainly a lot of the fan response gave out names of guys like Demetrius Johnson, who actually (laughs) realize undisputed goal, but certainly an animated conversation. And I'm not sure there are any wrong answers, whether you think it's Justin Gaethje or Dustin Poirier or Yoel Romero or Tony Ferguson or Kenny Florian. I just feel like it's an interesting debate is all. 
No, absolutely. I mean, clearly it was very popular. You look at some of the people responding. That was the funniest part, John, is people going like, it's John Jones and Demetrius <laughs> Johnson, guys. What do you? No, no, no. We're talking about people who did not win the belt. So some people are just responding without really listening to what we're saying. That happens a lot. Um, but yeah, there is no right answer. It depends on what you qualify as someone who is the best job. What are we looking at? Skills, guys right. that they've beaten, you know, all of the above guys who are popular, you know, whatever it is. There is no right answer, guys. Calm down. All of them are valid. And uh, we appreciate the interactions, though. It's, it's always uh, fun to debate that kind of stuff. Bottom of the hour, Ray Longo will join us. Kenny, I'm not sure if you saw this, but Will Berger, one of our production assistants, went over to Longo's house and got him set up with some equipment. So he has a camera, he has a microphone, and he has suggested that it's pretty easy for him to sort of get everything going. So not only do we have a new Ray Longo minute today, but with a whole <coughs> new setup potentially. I love it, dude. The Ray Longo with the headphones, by the way, is just awesome. I oh. kind of like transported back to the 70s, hearing him just kind of listen to some tunes, like little Led Zeppelin back in the day, like he had his record player. But um, I'm so glad he got set up. Uh, props to Will Berger. And uh, we should be good now. No lucky, right? Or I guess not as much lucky. Yeah, we'll see what happens with the yeah. variable that is his dog, Lucky. But thank you to Brian Petrie for helping out with the equipment, Cody Mara, of course, and uh, and Will Berger getting Ray Longo set up. But I just want to say to those suggesting that this was a bit and that we were trying to prolong things and have Ray Longo broadcasting live from his toilet closet, that was not. <laughs> ever a podcast initiative, and, and, even though it produced some funny moments. Yeah. And it's not trying to inject more stress into his life, guys. Okay. I can assure you. Yeah, that's the truth. All right. <laughs> Let us get into headlines as we recap UFC fight night, Moreno versus Roy Vol too. But before we do that, we have a very special guest on the line. This is a sports media executive who played a huge role <laughs> in the careers of Kenny Florian and myself. The great Kieran Portley is with us. Ports, I love Buddy, let's go. <laughs> Guys, I'm nervous. I feel nervous. Can you even hear me? I, we didn't do a mic check. We didn't do a mic check. We're not yelling at each other. I mean, I don't feel like this is really getting into the swing here. I, I, every time I hear Port talk, it's like, how did this guy not like get behind a camera or like do radio stuff? Look at that voice. Yeah. How you doing, Port? Well, I use the great one. You know, space for face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, you look you know? great as always. We know you're always hitting the gym hard, but you know, I sit here about 20. Florian, I still use the Florian freak. Can I swear? Do I have yes, to be you like, can you fucking can. swear. Okay. So I, I still use the fucking Florian. I apply most things I learned from Florian into still what I do. I don't know. If I get one little ache, I go, hey, where's the fucking Florian? And, then, <laughs> and somehow you're still alive. This guy. Oh, oh wow. my goodness. Further greatness, Anthony Spadacenta, one of our other longtime oh, staples on ESPN yeah. MMA Live. Ports. It's great to see you, man. And, uh, you know, I don't want to get serious right off the top, but I'm 20 years into my broadcasting career. I've never won an award. But if I ever win anything, the first name out of my mouth is probably going to be Kieran Portley because none of this happens for me without you. And I think Kenny, maybe to a lesser extent because he fought for the belt three times. But if you don't know Kieran Portley, longtime sports media executive, worked for the UFC and CBS, now back at the friendly confines there at ESPN. But... You were the guy who launched Fantasy Football Now and MMA Live, and somehow you put me and Kenny on a set together. So we're long overdue to have you on the show, but I just want to thank you off the top, man. It's fucking great to see you. Yeah, I mean, we we all know when Spada Center's still in here and he's fucking giving me directions, it's still, you know, so it's like, <laughs> okay, sorry, Spots. But it's, we all know it's it was more mile 
and we were all just fortunate to work for the smartest guy. Obviously, there's there's a this is his birthday to to commemorate. Wow, I get too emotional myself here, but you know, stayed close with with Mikey and Jess um, over the years. I know you guys have too, but really, it was just fortunate to work with him, who allowed me to you know just have a little bit of space, and then get to meet guys like Anik, who's the you know. He, Listen, it's like anything else. You, you, we don't play. You guys are the play. I mean, it's amazing. You guys are, you guys play. We just get the, more miles, got the vision. The, he, he's the most, you know, the smartest guy I think any of us ever worked with. So you just get a little bit of that, you know, reflection off of his, off yeah. his big, big arse. And, <laughs> and, you, and you, you just, you just, you, you just can't help but not do well. And then you got, you know, you just get lucky. You get some great players. Kenny played. Most people probably don't even know that played soccer at BC. That little story allowed us to kind of gain some. Skipper was running at the time. Was like, oh, you, he played soccer. <laughs> you know, hey guys, yeah, he played soccer, and obviously a super smart guy. And then Anik, you know, you're doing radio. There's nobody that does better prep. Like we could go back. We're all at the young age. We're all trying to say, I know, I know. MMA, I know UFC. Who doing the fucking walk down? <laughs> but it was, it was just. The big man was the the guy who who just made it all happen, and then being able to work with you two guys who are obviously amazing talents. Kenny was an amazing fighter. I mean, I think you you really put MMA in MMA. I mean, don't you think? And maybe he was Kenny was the first real mixed martial artist. I'm, I'm not I'm not you know not overdoing it here, Ken Flo, but you know where you really started to mix. Thank you. Except that crazy, you know, there's actually, well, <laughs> but you start, really started to mix the boxing with the stand-up. I mean, obviously boxing, Muay Thai, wrestling, you'd go to BU, you'd wrestle jujitsu and you do all those things. Right. So that made you an, an amazing analyst to be able to, to, to look at that. And then Anik with your ability to prep and know the sport, take, take, you know, the sport that was growing and make and, and allow people to understand it. I think that was the best thing. Cause you're a sports fan. You're a huge sports fan because people don't realize I mean, you could do, you could do football. I've been around long enough to work with other guys. Nobody preps like you do. There's, I, I get a, there's no matter what anybody wants to, everybody, we all work together. I said, we all have our own little idiosyncrasies, but there's nobody that works harder and there's nobody better prepared. And there's nobody that really can, translate what we're watching into something that feels at that time was really important to really feel like a sport to make it to to kind of make it um feel more legitimate you know because of your background in general sports applying it that was to me the recipe the big man was the big was the yeah. was the big gun and then we just had we had the opportunity to do that and you guys just smoked it well, we appreciate you saying that, Kieran Portley, ESPN executive with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. And it's just so good to see your face, bro. I can't overstate that, but it is the late, great leader, Anthony Mormile's birthday. So we felt like it was a good time to surprise Ken Flo and bring you on. And of all the great things that Anthony Mormile did, you know, one. Yeah. Well, did we, we, have a, do we have a little, is this live? Yeah, it is. Yeah, well, no, I mean, we could assume it is, but we, I think oh. we just lost John. Well, but, it's uh, almost like UFC when we were USC 100 and we lost John's mic. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it was like we lost John's mic. It was like Kenny, uh, we're live on Sports Center, <laughs> so we were telling that joke where we lost your mic. I think it was we lost your mic. So we're, yeah, it's Lesnar's coming up. 
we're sitting there and we're like, uh, we, we don't have, I think the lights went out or somebody pulled the plug or Brucey was something, Brucey did something probably. You know, God his right, right. It was like, it was like, okay, Kenny, uh, you're, you're just going to have to take, we're on, I think we we're on sports at that time because I think Lesnar was coming up, right, Kenny? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Unbelievable. That was wild. That was what just happened. So I've had some technical issues today, StreamYard giving us fits, but I was just going to ask you, Ports, and I know we only have about 10 minutes left of your time, but in terms of the UFC and mixed martial arts growth domestically, I mean, you were at the forefront of fighting for this sport 2006, 2007, when nobody in Bristol gave a modicum of a shit, right? No. And now here we are, there was the Fox deal for seven years and now the ESPN deal. I'd imagine for you, even though you're not working in MMA on the day-to-day -day necessarily, it's pretty gratifying to see where this sport is domestically relative to say 2007. Yeah, I mean, here's a good more mile story. Like more miles sitting in the, so yeah, I remember Norb. So uh, I should, I, I don't know. Let's just. You want to shut uh, your door? Do <laughs> there is a guy. There is a guy. And listen, Norby's great. And I know these. There's other Pat McAfee stuff going on, but Norby's great. And uh, more miles in the meeting. I'm not sure if he's on the perch or not because you guys got. I don't know if we could get some pictures of the big man in here. We will. He kind of. He looked like Big Pun. So just try to think <laughs> of Big Pun coming in on his moped. He's crushing a lot. He's coming in. He's on the moped, and he goes into the meeting. They used to have this meeting each each week, and they they look at him. And they go because nobody could see me. The big man was so big, I'd be like in his pocket, you know. So it was um, the big fellow. You go well. What's the, what's you know? Goes, the UFC's got to be done, right? Chuck Tito two or three, you know. Chuck Tito. After that, there's really not anything going on. Big man just turns and goes. Do you think they're creating sports every uh, every couple years here, Norby. I mean, this is a new emerging sport. Put no, put, nor, put kind of the room on notice, not anybody in, in particular, but put the room on notice. And that was, that was, that's from that story, that's a great story to kind of, kind of look at the trajectory of the UFC and amazing how Dana and Craig, obviously still very close with, with everybody there. And, and, uh, or sorry, well. I mean, they just have the, you know, not only was it the sport and then obviously the collection of great executives, Lorenzo, um, Dana, Craig running it and, and Lawrence. I mean, they, they, that, they have a world-class organization. That's the one thing is that they built a, a brand and organization. I know there's, you know, some people can throw what, what the young kids show shade these days, but uh, um, nobody threw bigger shade than big men. It was a constant shade, um, but uh, they 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 really did an amazing job. So yeah, I'm just just uh, fortunate just to even be uh, slightly involved. And then obviously, uh, when I turn on and watch you guys, I watch the pay per view. Um, or Kenny, I follow you. Uh, still choking people out and uh, winning <laughs> winning tournaments at the, uh, in the 70, 70 and older. Uh, <laughs> Port, just, you know, I'm I, just proud of you guys. Thank you, man. I, it, none of this would be possible without you, dude. But I, I, I get uncomfortable when I hear compliments, dude. You know, you're you're you're, you're kind of sending us all these compliments about me and John. What were some of the things? What were some of the funny things when John and I were coming up? Some of the, like the, the the dumb things that we did when we were uh, when we were started. Do you have any stories about that? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think. I mean, well, I just go back to like the, the funniest thing was like when Skipper was like he he played. 
He played soccer. <laughs> Skipper is a big soccer guy. Yeah. And they're like, he played soccer at, uh, at B. And remember, he went to like UFC 100, got a little bloody, came up and talked to you guys. Remember, yeah. Skipper came up and spoke to you guys. And I think he even referenced that too. So we we're, I was always just looking for, for a way to, to, at that time, like you said, Antic. Well, because, well, Burger calls it Antic. But, <laughs> And it, like he came up and talked to you guys, we were just looking to legitimize, legitimize yeah. things. So I felt like, you know, that was one of the reasons I always try to feel like I knew like, shit, knew more than I did. I've been, I've been faking it for a long time, huh. but knew more than, you know, I ever did about the sport, but it was just to try to make it legitimate because I loved it so much. And then obviously loved you guys. And then it was like, we had a family and just trying to legitimize a little bit of what we were trying to do within the walls of ESPN. So it was like we were all just trying to we kind of move the move everything forward, and uh, no, I mean, listen, this, I mean, Anik get all upset when you you were trying to cut that weight. Or Anik, you're like, he's gonna fucking die. <laughs> yeah. He's fighting Aldo, yeah. right? Yeah. He's fighting. He's like fighting Aldo. I'm like, Anik, you got. I mean, he's gonna be fine. <laughs> yeah, you look, you're, you're worried, but well, Anik was legitimately worried. <laughs> I just remember when I auditioned for you on the TV side and I had no television experience and you sort of said to me nicely, like, Hey man, like we think maybe you could be the guy, but like, do you have Tourette syndrome or something? Cause you got a fucking tick and I'm not sure what we're going to do about that. <laughs> Still got it. Still got the fucking tick. Because you're, it's, it's your cadence. Right. And I just learned like, what is, what is my feedback? The kid's good. He's way smarter than I am. So <laughs> for a while, you, know, you get a little more humble. You look back, you're like, that was kind of stupid. Um, but the, uh, again, just making shit up as you go along. I mean, if you're anybody in this business, if they tell you they know what the hell they're doing, they're, they're bullshitting you. Know? Right. No, I agree so, with that. So, but it was like, but on camera, the only thing I didn't know is you couldn't do it. <laughs> right. 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 And right. you fixed it. And it, look, it took you, and you years. fixed it. And you hit, dude, how many, how many times have you not hit 12 seconds? In this business, like some podcast, if they're listening, you probably don't have any ratings because I'm on. But the, <laughs> Today, I mean, you guys have great ratings, but I'm just saying today. Um, yeah. What I, is that? Twelve seconds. Hey, we got twelve seconds. You got to be out. You're out. Right. At 12 right. Seconds. Well, thank you, buddy. Hey, so before we let you go, you know, I think part of the reason why, and I'm speculating here, you're not working in mixed martial arts with us is because you are bilingual and you have all this versatile value because you speak a bunch of different languages. But we do miss having you on the day-to-day with the UFC. And it feels a little bit weird for me being embedded with ESPN and not communicating with you on a regular basis about mixed martial arts because I learned so much from you. You know so much about it. So what is your day-to-day like right now, if you don't mind me asking? It's ESPN. It's all it's pro- kind of production, working with the production crews down South America. You know, I do, okay. uh, I, 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 again, speak Spanish. So that, that is that is nice. When I was at the UFC, that's what I was doing mainly. Um, it's a great market. We got the UFC is on in Brazil. Do we have it in, we have it in Argentina. Um, I think Brazil it's on global still. Yep. Uh, but we, so we, I, there's still some connection to it. I still, you know, I stay in touch with, uh, with Candido and, and those guys, it, you know, what, what I'm doing, what I usually do find really smart people, way smarter than me, hire them and then let them do their thing. And <laughs> kind of just, uh, you know, yeah, I pretend I'm, uh, I'm, I'm valuable. So it's, uh, I do have a great team. They're awesome down there. And, uh, I'm going to hit Peru soon, Kenny. Nice. Go, go see the Florian, Florians over there. <laughs> <laughs> 
Floridians, but um, that's what I'm doing kind of day to day. And it's, it, it's fun to be back in ESPN. I've been back. Right? You well, know, dude, it's great. I went to, yeah. I went to see more mile. So. Oh, nice. So yeah. That's why we, we went there and Mikey, his son is doing a great job. He's working with, with, uh, with Campbell and those crazy bastards. Yep. yep. Yeah. So um, that's uh that's that's good stuff. Yeah, we're all old now, but it's great to reconnect, especially on the big man, Anthony Moore, Miles' birthday. Kieran Portley, longtime friend. We appreciate your time, man. It's absolutely fantastic to see you. And uh, word on the street is we might see in Miami for UFC 299. Kempflo might be down there with me, so don't be a stranger. Well, if, if you're down there, I think I'll see you. All right, buddy. Hey, Ports, thank Thanks, you, buddy. Guys. All right. God bless you. There he is, Kieran Portley, with us on the Anakin Florian podcast. little surprise for my man, Kempflo, today. On Anthony Moore Miles' birthday. Wow. And Anthony was the chief executive in charge of MMA Live. And both Anthony and Kieran were instrumental in bringing us in and bringing us together. So I want to surprise you in book ports on, on Moore Miles' birthday today, brother. Dude, I'm blown away, man. That That is amazing. I, I always love catching up with port number one. But, uh, I mean, you couldn't be more accurate. Uh, again, none of that would have been possible without those guys. And the fact that they trusted us two idiots uh, from day one and then, you know, going from MMALive.com, right? Back then it was ESPN Mobile. Now, yeah. obviously, it's like this is where everyone's watching their stuff. And more mile was talking about that before anybody. And, uh, dude, what, what it's done for us in our careers, man, it's uh, it's amazing. And, and it's because of those guys, more mile and poorly. In 2008. We were working for ESPN Digital Media, to Kenny's point. It's an ESPN.com property. It was on ESPN UK. You may recall Michael Bisping fucking hated my guts because of my presence on that show back in the day. Perhaps because Dan Henderson was a guest analyst for a time. But then we migrated to ESPN2, and a couple years thereafter, Kenny and I went to work for the UFC in a more full-time capacity. But uh, nice to sort of turn back the clock a little bit with Kieran Portley today on the Anakin Florian podcast. Now though, I would like to get your thoughts if I could before Longo joins us in about a quarter of an hour, Brandon raw dog Royval over Brandon Moreno in the main event in Mexico city. He gets it done by split decision over 25 hard minutes. A lot of scorecards going in a lot of different directions, especially when it comes to round by round, but Kenny, your thoughts on what was a pretty fantastic main event in Mexico city, all things considered. Yeah, it was a close fight, man. Um, I, I thought uh, it pretty much delivered uh, and and went in a way that I thought it would for the most part. Um, it was certainly close, especially some of those rounds. I think what happened was Royval at a certain point just was pumping out a little bit more volume and he was able to get Moreno out of his rhythm a little bit. Uh, to me, I saw a regression in Moreno's game. You know, I think the last uh, few fights or so, I, I've seen that a little bit. Um, and Royval just seemed to kind of get better. He seemed to build on his confidence a little bit more, especially in regards to those kicks. Moreno kept running into kicks, and it seemed like every time he was moving forward, he didn't exactly have a very specific plan of how he was going to go in, enter, hit those takedowns, or land those shots, get in and get out without taking damage. And uh, Royval just kept staying busy. Um, I think that having that last fight be a five-rounder, certainly helped them to, to gain that confidence. I think going five rounds for the first time at a high level um, is, is kind of a question mark before you do that. After right. you do that, you're like, okay, I, I, I know I can do this. Um, and 
yeah, I, I think he just stayed busy enough uh, to, to probably get it done. Um, I don't think Moreno was was bad by any means. Uh, he had a very tough opponent in front of him. But I did see a little bit of a regression in regards to footwork and his ability to kind of finish some of that control on the ground when he was able to get there. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment to be sure. And there's a lot to sort of digest on the back end of this result because Alessandre Pantoja is the champion. He has legitimate history with both of these combatants. And it seems like he wants to defend his title at UFC 301 on May 4th in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. So last year at UFC 296, Brandon Royval challenged Alessandre Pantoja and the fight did not go particularly well for Brandon Royval. So the fan appetite right now, Kenny, doesn't seem to be robust for an immediate rematch between Pantoja and Royval, even if Royval, on the strength of this win over the former champion, deserves consideration. Yeah. There are other names we could bandy about. Amir Albazi has a winning streak, but he's coming off of neck surgery. He's not going to be ready by May 4th. Manel Kopp missed weight recently for a fight that didn't happen. Kai Kata France, at least on paper, has lost two in a row. Yeah. Kyoji Horiguchi is a name that people are throwing out there. He's not even a UFC fighter right now, Ken Flo. So what is your best guess as to promotionally what they do if indeed Pantoja wants to defend this belt on May 4th in his native Rio de Janeiro? Well, they, they might just be in a holding pattern to kind of wait how things uh, play out, right? But um, I, I don't know. I, right now, uh, you know, based on all those names, listen, Royval would be the only guy available and, and I think worthy of of getting that next title shot. Uh, I, I think it's hard for promotion to rely on someone who's not making weight um, and certainly uh, on a losing streak. It, it's going to have to be someone who has won their last fight, who was looking good um, and has shown that they are elite. And Roy Ball did just that uh, against an excellent fighter in Moreno. So as of right now, if I'm the promotion looking at who would be that next guy, I think there's only one choice right now. At Anik Florian Pod for the poll question, assuming all parties are healthy slash able to fight in just 10 weeks, and by the way, less than 10 weeks now until UFC 301, against whom should Alessandre Pantoja defend his UFC flyweight title in Rio? 31% of you want to see him defend against the winner of a fight this weekend between Alex Perez and Mohamed Mokayev, then 30% for Brandon Royval, 20% for Amir Albazi, he's not available, and then Manel Kopp, 19%. So, the majority, albeit a 31% majority, feel like the winner of the fight this weekend can flow between Alex Perez and Mohamed Mokayev could determine the next title challenger. Now, I would suggest maybe it's a little bit too soon for Mokayev, but he would be 6-0 and in the UFC, and he would have then beaten Alex Perez, a former world title challenger. Certainly for Alex Perez, Kenny, he's barely fought since he challenged Davis and Figueredo. But were he to go out and finish Mohamed Mokaya, perhaps Alex Perez would have a case. I tend to agree with you. I mean, it's hard to just eliminate or omit from memory what happened between Pantoja and Royval last December at UFC 296. But right now, if Royval can be healthy, I mean, it's pretty banged up after this fight. Yeah, I think that's the fight that is that is most realistic. But what are your thoughts on the Alex Perez, Mohamed Mokaya winner being vaulted into a championship setting? Well, I think it's way more likely if it's Mokaya than it is uh, Perez. Um, 
in, in my opinion. And that's no offense to Perez. I, I just think based on Mokayev's undefeated record right now, that would put him at 12-0 and 0 if he was able to get it done. You look at his skills and the way that he matches up against someone like Pantoja, I think just that alone makes it very interesting. Uh, and, you know, he, he doesn't have an insane amount of experience, but what we've seen from him, this this Mokayev is a problem, dude. He's a problem for anybody. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he could definitely sneak in there. You know, he. the other thing is, like, for fans, they want some kind of storyline. And having a guy who was undefeated uh, with, with with those kind of wins, I, I think certainly tells a very interesting story and makes it very, a very interesting challenge for Pantoja. So as far as that goes, I, I think that's that's really interesting. D- would he deserve it at this point with the win over uh, Perez? Maybe not. I'd like to see one more. And, and I think for Mokayev, it would serve him well to get one more high-level win, right? To set him up to not only potentially win the belt, but hold on to that belt for a very, very long time. So, again, um, I think um, if we were to make a choice right now, I'd still be leaning towards Royval. But absolutely, it it makes a stronger case for Mokayev. There's no question about that because Perez is a guy who's 24 and 7. This is a guy with over 30 fights. Uh, and if you beat a guy like that who comes from that good wrestling uh, background, who is a good striker, who knows how to put it all together very well, um, I, I think that would that would definitely make a strong case for Mokayev, uh, if not for the next one, but uh, probably the one after that. And you got to think he gets Alex Perez this weekend at the height of motivation. Perez has less than three and a half minutes of total octagon time dating to his title shot against Davison Figueredo in November of 2020. So a huge fight beckons this weekend at the UFC Apex in terms of the flyweight pecking order. Now, some fans have acknowledged a little bit of fatigue when it comes to Brandon Moreno constantly fighting these guys that he has fought prior, whether it's Davison Figueredo or Alessandre Pantoja. This was also a rematch against Brandon Royval. Now, part of that is the issue for Pantoja Royval 3 as a possible headliner in Rio de Janeiro. But in terms of who could be next for Brandon Moreno, I think there's a great chance that it's Henry Cejudo. I'm not sure what Cejudo's appetite is to cutting back down to 125 pounds or if Moreno would be interested in moving up to 35. But there's a lot of connective tissue between those two athletes, Kenny. Bad blood. They used to be friends. Not the case anymore. Cejudo has called for a fight with Brandon Moreno. I think that makes a lot of sense, especially if you're Brandon Moreno, right? And you don't have an obvious opponent, don't have an obvious opponent right now. Could do worse than Triple C. Yeah, listen, the storyline writes itself. I, I think Moreno wants this so badly that he would go up to 135 pounds. I think he would welcome that challenge against Cejudo. And again, I, I don't want to um, make this a dig at those two guys, but I do think that if we're looking at the trajectory or the lack thereof from both of those fighters, they're on a bit of a decline, right? If we're being honest, uh, for me, I think what I've seen from Cejudo, what I've seen from Moreno doesn't mean they're not great fighters. They are great fighters. But for me, when I've seen them in their prime at their best, I don't think that's that right now. It could be there's some transitionary period for those guys to kind of figure some things out. But I think it makes a lot of sense for that reason. It makes a lot of sense because it is a great storyline. It makes a lot of sense because there is beef between those two. And it makes for a great story because both of those guys want this fight. Now, what this does for Moreno as far as you know his place in the 125-pound division, it 
probably does nothing for him in that regard. But you beat someone like Cejudo, that is a big deal based on what he has accomplished over the course of his mixed martial arts career. And I think it, it does a lot for Cejudo as well to maybe get back on track, to prove himself against another elite fighter in Moreno. So I love it. I think it's a, I think it's a fight we'll see, but most likely we'll see at 135 pounds. I don't think Cejudo wants anything to do with flyweight at this stage of his career. Right. I mean, certainly for Henry Cejudo, he is no longer in Bantamweight title contention. He came back from two or three years away, was immediately given a championship opportunity against Aljamain Sterling. Then he loses to Marab Dwalishwili. So if Cejudo is trying to get back on a championship path, he's going to have to cut down to 126 pounds for this fight against Brandon Moreno. But I'm with you. I just don't see it. I think they do it at 35 as a Bantamweight fight. Dana White doesn't like catch weights. I'd find it exceedingly hard to believe that they would do that fight at 130 pounds. Real quick, here's what Cejudo had to say about a fight with Brandon Moreno. So what fight would be better than Triple C versus Brandon Moreno, the Mexican-American versus the true Mexican? And they come together. They do a five-round showdown at the Sphere in Las Vegas for Mexican Independence Day. I like it. I think if there's any way we should settle it and enough talking, enough cringing, enough antics and enough all of that, the only way to get it on Brandon Moreno is I accept your challenge. Let's do it. Mexican Independence Day. What you got? You going to sign that contract? Are you a Mexican or a Mexican? So (laughs) we'll see what happens. It does appear, though, Kenny, as though Mexican Independence Day, it's going to be a pay-per-view at the Sphere in Las Vegas. And Nate Diaz has chimed in. I think something to the effect of fuck UFC 300. He wants to fight at the Sphere. I think that is going to be the most requested date and show in UFC history when it comes to the athletes asking the promoter if they can compete inside the sphere. I have never seen anything like that sphere ever. Like it just the way that it sticks out, even when it was being built, I was like, what the hell is that thing? And the fact that the UFC could potentially put on an event there, that would be insane. Like as far as just a show and delivering, like, uh, again, Dana's really fired up about it, and you know he's going to try to blow it out. So I think uh, that would be the event to be at, not not only as a you know as an event itself, but to be there live. Oh. I don't, I'm not sure it gets any better than that. To be honest, I think Dana White has already come out and said that we're going to lose money for that show. Uh, it's a huge initiative, and it's just insane to think about the octagon, the big thirty footer being dropped inside that sphere. Everybody who has been there. And I have not. It's mostly hearing from drivers in Las Vegas. Everybody yeah. is effectively blown away by that venue. Right. And uh, as is often the case, it looks like the UFC is going to be first as far as having a sporting event inside the sphere in Las Vegas. All right, Brian Ortega, T-City is back, Ken Flo. Big win over Yair Rodriguez in the co-main event. You had to look far and wide for people back in T-City as an underdog here on the road. He gets it done by arm triangle at the 58-second mark of round three. And... Uh, Not unlike most Brian Ortega fights prior, he had to go through adversity to get the job done, but beautiful trip into the submission there, and uh, T-City gets it done and immediately injects himself back into the featherweight mix. Yeah, John, really, that that is the story. Uh, Not only of dealing with adversity um, in that first round, but even just to start the fight, the fight wasn't even there. It didn't even start yet. And you see him bouncing around. It looked like he twisted his ankle. I'm like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Is it his knee? Is it his ankle? What the hell is going on? And then if you know some of the backstory of what this kid has dealt with leading up to this, you know, in his personal life, the injuries, the surgeries, all that stuff can break a lot of guys, right? Just knowing 
am I ever going to be the same after this? And can I ever get a break? How am I supposed to be the best professional fighter I can be if I can't be healthy? And, and, and a lot of times you start to question yourself and, you know, some of the personal decisions of the people you have in your life. And you kind of have to reassess all that when all of that is happening on the physical side and the relationship side, all that stuff. That is a lot for any human being to deal with. But Brian Ortega is not just any other human being. It was great to see him, you know, adjust up to that first round. He started realizing, hey, this is where I'm at my best. I need to take this fight to the ground. That's where I'm going to beat Yair Rodriguez. And Yair Rodriguez was helping Ortega do that. It seemed like for me, Yair tried to make it a fight about machismo, right? And as a Latin guy myself, sometimes we go out there and we lead with, oh, I'm going to be the tough guy out there. I'm going to do this and that. Well, listen, machismo, courage, toughness never gets injected into the equation if you're across from a very intelligent fighter who knows how to execute. And it just never it never comes into play. And that was the different here difference here. Ortega was able to bring it into his wheelhouse, get that clinch, get that fight to the ground, and took Yair out of the game completely. Yair was not managing his distance very well. He was over committing to a lot of strikes. Um, his grappling was completely out of whack. He was exposed in that regard. And as a guy who picked Yair Rodriguez, um, it's just another humbling experience of, hey, Florian, you got wrecked here, dude. You called it wrong, um, which I love. You know, uh, I don't love the uh, the fact that I'm behind Brian Petrie as much as I am. However, it's just another reminder of there's so much to this game. There's so much you need to calculate as a fighter, as an analyst, as someone calling fights. And for me, Ortega really just took over after round one, man. And uh, it was just a, a beautiful story because of that. Yeah, you put it well as usual. It's definitely a big miss for Yair Rodriguez getting the chance here to sort of prove that there was nothing fluky about that first win against Brian Ortega, getting to do it in Mexico City, and for whatever reason, just not one of his better performances. And there was a lot of talk of Ilya Topuria during fight week, and that certainly drew out some emotion from Yair Rodriguez, who intimated that he wants to fight Topuria sight on scene. They don't need an octagon, right? And now he's not going to fight Ilya Topuria. Perhaps Brian Ortega will be next. I would like to see Brian Ortega fight Mavsar Ievloyev. I think that is the fight to make as a five-round main event as a championship title eliminator. I think a lot of the questions have to do with the calendar and getting a venue in Spain and Alexander Volkanovsky's desire to take some time off or turn around quickly. But Kenny, correct me if I'm wrong. Not out of the realm of possibility that on the strength of this win this weekend, that Brian Ortega has set up a date with Ilya Topuria for the undisputed UFC featherweight title. Well, Ortega's a very popular fighter. A lot of people love him um, and certainly proved it yet again with, with the way he performs out there and the kind of heart that he brings into the octagon. So, yeah, I think he set, him, set himself up pretty well here. Um, I'm not sure I would put him in, in that next shot right now. But with everything going on and with all the disruption in the game right now, with the question marks on whether Volkanovsky is going to take time off or not, he's there. He's there not only because of the heart and the skill that he brings to the octagon, but because of that popularity. That absolutely matters. Marketing is going to be a part of the game, whether you like it or not. I'm sorry, guys, but that is a part of the game here in the UFC. It is a business after all. Ortega's a popular fighter, and that means stuff, okay? Um, so, yeah, I, I thought it was it was a huge spot. All eyes were on him in that co-main event. Um, and, you know, 
I think his stock went up tremendously. Oh, and in yeah. that process, I think Yair's stock went down tremendously. You know, you can't fight like that uh, and expect quality results. It just seemed like he was it was it reminded me of the Amanda Lemos fight where Amanda is is really doing a number on Mackenzie Dern on the feet. And then she decides to chase the fight to the ground against a guy who is going to be superior there or a girl who is going to be superior there, Mackenzie Dern. And in Yair's case, what are you doing going to the ground against Ortega? Why would you do that? Are you trying to prove that you're just tougher and that you're just going to like take him out? No, you got to bring intelligence into this game and you got to prepare properly and you got to stick to it. More often than not, you got to stick to your game plans. And for me, Yair just didn't have a game plan. It seemed like he was just riled up in emotions. Yeah. He was trying to prove a point out there, it seemed anyway, and uh, really wasn't thinking about what he was doing. O- over committing on a lot of strikes, which was allowing Ortega to get in on that clinch and take him down. So, yeah, it just seemed to be a, a huge mess there for, for Rodriguez. I do have some stuff on a comparison of Brian Ortega and Mackenzie Dern, but we don't want to keep a good man waiting. So as we continue our recap, UFC fight night, Moreno versus Roy Vault 2. Let us get to the star of the show and the Ray Longo Minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Oh, yeah. Wow. Woo. Oh, man. Wow. Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture? Confused by words like malolactic fermentation? Yeah, we are too. So with 19 Crimes, you can do the fancy schmancy tilt sip smell routine or don't. 19 Crimes is the rebel of wine and culture telling the stories of rogues and rule breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes Wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California. It's Kentucky Derby time. Are you ready for the greatest two minutes in sports? Well, saddle up with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. So right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. All you need to do, deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Download DK Horse now to join the Run for the Roses action. New customers, 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when you opt in with code FLOW, F-L-O. Only on the DK Horse app today. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18 plus, 21 plus in certain states to open or access an account and a resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply void where prohibited. See terms at dkhorse.com, one per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wagers within 168 hours. Bonus released in 25 dollar increments deposit and eligibility restrictions apply see terms at dkhorse.com <laughs> wait you see the shirt i see the shirt Look at that. i see the uh, headset yeah, we'll take it so you got a camera you got a microphone you got a headset yeah. How- got a i think too oh i don't know about that Kim. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, yeah i feel i gotta start wearing a hat i think that's the answer 
So I need you to be completely truthful with me right now. And we appreciate you joining us every week. The star of the show, Ray Longo at Ray Longo MMA 9358 on Instagram at Ray Longo MMA on X. How hard was it for you to get set up this morning? I really need to know. Uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't hard. I, <laughs> I mean, it was as hard as logging into my email, which <laughs> that could be a problem sometimes. <laughs> so are you in That's your good. office right now? I'm in the, I'm in my den. Yeah, in the right? den. How does yeah. your wife feel about you overtaking the den with this podcast nah, setup? She loves it. She loves it. She loves it. Yeah. She likes those twice annual checks that come in that need to be bigger. <laughs> yeah. No, no. She's got, she, she's got plenty of her own money. Trust me. <laughs> All, right. All right. Good. Well, uh, Jason Anik, make a note. We'll, uh, we'll make Ray's bonus a little bit smaller this year. So I, <laughs> well, I, said, get she, into... I said she has money. I didn't say All I have right, money. I share with you. That's good. So, I was just going to bring up a comparison between Mackenzie Dern and Brian Ortega. And there have been a few different knocks on Mackenzie Dern, maybe a little bit sloppy on the feet, but some have questioned her offensive wrestling. And Brian Ortega has a lot of different takedowns and trips in his arsenal, and that allows him to get the fight to a grappling realm where he can realize success against most men in this division. So a lot of fans and pundits have wondered aloud, Kenny and Ray, why Mackenzie Dern maybe hasn't worked more or shown more when it comes to her offensive wrestling. Because, dude, if she gets the fight there, you know, more often than not, it's going to be caution flammable for the opposition, you know? Uh, common sense to me. I don't know. What, what, what was the question? I mean, I agree with what you said, but why isn't she doing it? Well, Kenny, I don't know said? if you have anything on that. Just Ortega's ability to seemingly get the fight to the ground against guys who he should be able to take down versus Mackenzie Dern, not always realizing consistency when it comes to that part of her game. Wait, let me jump in for a second. Yeah, Rodriguez's kryptonite always was the takedowns and being on bottom. I mean, Frankie Edgar, you know, did it to him a while back. I I agree with everything Kenny was saying while I was, you know, waiting in the back. Uh, It's just, how do you not correct that over five years? Like, that's all you should be working on. Like, I had a guy lose because he couldn't uh, he couldn't stop the takedown. I said, don't ever hit the pads again until you fix this problem. I think the, the answer where I'm going is people do what the fuck they want to do. You know, what they like to do, not what they have to do. And that I, I think it comes down to just being that simple. You know what I mean? So... You know, these guys get in there, you know, they, they get in the groove and they just run it out. I mean, but there is a game plan and he, he knows what he has to work on. Everybody knows what he has to work on, why he's not working on it or maybe he couldn't get it. Maybe that's just not his thing and he he's incapable of getting it. Maybe that's a possibility. I mean, you know, we used to work with Luke Como back in the day a lot on takedown defense, and his he just never really could stop the takedown. But his he had a great MMA guard, so he wasn't really taking damage. So uh, it was a different time back then. But now it's you know what you have to do. You, you just know. And uh, your your point on Mackenzie Dern is a hundred percent correct. That's what she should be doing: getting a wrestling coach and just wrestle, even if yeah. it's six months. It'll go a long way. You know what I mean? It's I it think- really will. I think Ray's spot on. Now, I, I think the reality is, is that wrestling sucks. Wrestling is hard. 100%. Wrestling is painful. Yes. Wrestling is humiliating. Um, and 
you know, a lot of guys don't want to get in the wrestling room and just work on that aspect. Um, especially if you're kind of a grappler and you're used to doing certain things a, a, a certain way, like let's say just jumping to your back and being content there and thinking, well, I'm going to yes. submit them and do this and do that. It doesn't work that way. It is a huge aspect of mixed martial arts. And um, again, a lot of people want to do the sexy stuff. They don't want to do the hard stuff. And yeah. if you don't want to do the hard stuff in your game, you will be exposed. We've all been there. It's one yeah. thing to listen, work on it, and just not be good enough. That that happens too. No question about yeah. it. But to me, when I look, you know, Ray intelligently referenced that fight against Frankie Edgar. How long ago was that Frankie Edgar fight? Yeah. And we're seeing the exact same yes. thing. Like we're not seeing these major jumps in the game. And listen, just because Yair go out goes out there and submits, uh, you know, gets a quick triangle uh, against someone, you're like, wow, he's he's way better. But what is it like when he doesn't get that? Like it's in the transition and it's in the positional game where you need to make your gains. And to me, I just didn't see that. So that that's a little concerning. And again, you look at a guy like Bilal who comes from the same camp as Yair, right? I mean, they train with the same guy. Yeah. I mean, Bilal is a dude who is as disciplined as they come. He's one of the smartest fighters in the game. Um, and he only uses his toughness if he needs to, right? And um, I think for Yair, I, I, I don't know. I just don't see that same approach. And, and they're from the same camp, but I don't see that same discipline. I don't see that same kind of sticking to, to, to strategies, game planning, uh, on the level of a Bilal. And, and, and you can just kind of see the difference in how people approach the game. And it's just, it, it's pretty apparent, I think. Yeah. And I got to tell you, sometimes the worst thing that can happen to you is you go to your back and you triangle the guy because you think you're going to do that to everybody. Right. And exactly. that's where the issue comes in. Then it takes you, before you know it, two years goes by. I, I will say this, like, that's what I, the one thing I love about Marab, he is a, he exemplifies win or learn. I mean, his the the corrections we made with him at the beginning. One one fight he lost, he got stuck in the mount. That wasn't going to happen again. He just went right back and corrected it. Ricky Bandeas, he fought Ricky, and Ricky took him down over and over again. That's when he started correcting his wrestling, and that's why he's got that bond with Aljo because he couldn't get away with that with Aljo when they sparred, and he thought, you know, he was a mad hatter, but even that wasn't good enough. You know what I mean? And Aljo, that's why he's got the respect for Aljo. Aljo really tightened up that guy's wrestling game, and he should never fight him because, you know, I mean, Aljo put a lot of time in with that, and that's why I think you see Marab always – you know, giving Aljo credit because that's what happened. Aljo really tightened up his wrestling game. And now you got a guy carrying a gold medal winner across the octagon and talking to Mark Zuckerberg, one of the richest guys in the fucking world. <laughs> this is what I mean, but it's not an accident. That's what I'm trying to say. He never, ever lost a fight and didn't make the corrections. Go back and look at his fight with, um, Frankie Science. I mean, what do you have? 14 takedowns, but he was flying over his back. No control. Yeah. He was crazy. Just look at his progression going up. Look at it. He tightened everything up. Still still a, a ways to go in a lot of areas, but when you put, you know, yeah. dedication and right. animosity and, you know, killer instinct and the enjoyment of fighting, like this, he's not going to back away from something he doesn't like to do. He's going to attack it and get it to where he doesn't like that feeling of being taken yeah. down. 
So, it's amazing to harken back to those early training sessions between Marab and Aljamain yeah, Sterling, right? Hard doubt. work and dedication, right? Nope. Floyd Mayweather, say what you want about him, but few were working harder, especially in his prime. And I do think the Mad Hatter is actually a great nickname for Marab Dwalishwili, but he's <laughs> the machine and that one's probably better. Tasmanian Kenny, real devil. quick. So I remember when Kenny started working on his wrestling with Sean Gray at Boston University and he would come to ESPN and be like, yeah, I just, I, I just... Should have been doing this way sooner. And it's just hard to sort of close a gap when, you know, Kenny's playing soccer competitively at a very high level for much of his life and doing jujitsu, but not really wrestling. Like, Kenny, I've had conversations with Carla Esparza and Henry Cejudo just about their own wrestling maintenance, right? Never mind the jujitsu right. maintenance. Nothing fun about some of those things. But if you Oof. think for a second that Carla Esparza doesn't maintain her wrestling chops, otherwise it goes away. There's no question about it. I think you have these per perishable skills. Everything in combat is you have a perishable skill. If you're not if you're not doing it every single day, then you lose it. It's not one of those things like riding a bike. You learn and then you're good. Um, you will learn it very very quickly. You will learn very very quickly that you have to be working on it all the time. And for me, in my case, it's like. Hey, my, my wrestling's holding up. I'm doing good against some of these guys. I'm doing okay. Like I'm submitting some of these guys or, you know, I'm taking a lot of these guys down. Well, that still may not be good enough because maybe you're not training with the best wrestlers you can find. So you got to go out and, and find the best guys that you can. And then you will find out, Hey, there's levels to this game. So putting yourself in those uncomfortable spots, training with different people, new people, as much as you can, getting the hardest guy in the room, working it to like, you know, it's one thing, let's say you're working uh, striking, for example, but you're working striking against wrestlers. And you're like, I'm the man, dude, I'm killing everybody on like, the feet. It's like, no, no, go, go do that against the best striker in the room. Yeah. Go, do do your jujitsu against the best guy on the ground. Do your wrestling against the best wrestler in the room. Like that's what you need to be working on. And uh, sometimes you, you just get comfortable or sometimes you have a training partner. You just kind of know the ins and outs of their game and you think you're doing great against wrestlers, but it just happens to be that training partner that you know extremely well. So it, there's a lot to it, no question about it, um, but that's what makes this game so exciting, so frustrating, but also so exciting and interesting. Yeah, and John, the blueprint is there. It, it's an easy blueprint if you could follow it. But when Kenny was fighting, we were in like an arms race. Everybody was learning. You came yeah. in with a – it's different today, but back yeah. then – it was like, well, what's that guy doing for strength and control? That guy's going. Yeah, we're all learning. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, everybody was on the. It was on the job training, man. It was a beautiful period of time because it was a lot of fun, Kenny, back then, picking up new skill sets. Now yeah. it's different. That's why these wrestlers that come in, they've been through the grind for probably ten years yeah. minimal every day. I watched the kids when we had the wrestling program at the gym. These are young kids every day grinding it out. By the time they get to 20 years old, they already have a skill set. They have the mentality. And it's easier, I think, to pick up jujitsu at that point than it is going the other way around, you know, unless yeah. you, you know. But look, uh, Jersey, uh, some of these states, uh, New York, they have great wrestling programs, you know. So uh, the blueprint is there. But I, you know, I do think it comes down to human nature and people are going to always acquiesce to what they feel good doing. You know what I mean? Just in life in general. You know what I mean? But the right. guys that don't, those are the guys that go to the top, man. You know what I mean? Like, even for the wrestlers, I mean, I quit the, 
he sparred pro boxers all the time. Like, it was just, you know, back in the day, I would be scared shit to bring a guy. I used to bring guys to the PAL just to test their confidence and to see if they have the heart to do this because they were going to get a beating. Now everything's kind of equaled up. You know, you could you could go in and box with a boxer. Like Kenny says, get a good wrestler. Go in and wrestle with him. It's, it's, it's doable. It's there if you put the time in. And, uh, yeah, I think Yair just – you know, going referencing back to that fight, just maybe he's just having a good time doing what he's doing. And he doesn't care. I don't know, but uh, you can't tell me that guy put the time in, in the wrestling as we would right. see it, you know, you should see him hit pads though, man. Huh? Guy can <laughs> fucking Listen, crack. His, no. his, his, you said it, John, his stand up is phenomenal. He tuned yeah. up Brian Ortega. How impressive was a win for Brian Ortega in that fashion? You look like he, uh, he, the, those live odds after the first round had to be disastrous. Then after the second round, they, they went on Brian Ortega's favor. You saw what was going to come. He survived that storm. You know, it's the old jujitsu editor, survive first, then win. That's what he did. He yeah. got out of that first round. He came back, and God bless him, man. That was a great fight to watch, and I think there's so much people could learn from that fight. It's incredible. Well, and there's parallels to be drawn to an average man like me, right? My comfort zone is more going out and running four or five miles, but I see much greater gains when I'm actually doing strength and conditioning three or four times a week, even though that for me is much harder. And when I am in the realm of doing that and running less, I notice major changes in my body as opposed to just burning muscle every time I go run five miles. And I will say too, Kenny, and Raymond, if our UFC Hall of Fame matchmaker Joe Silva was still around, I can almost guarantee you he's asking Yair Rodriguez to fight Mavsar Evloyev or Diego Lopez or one of those guys, right? All right, now you're going to have to go through a training camp where all you do is wrestle. Otherwise, Mavsar is going to eat you for dinner. Right. Well, I think it's interesting also from the standpoint of Ortega being so good with his submissions on the ground. It's like, okay, Evloyev, I know he's done very well against people taking them down, but it hasn't been Brian Ortega. He has one of the sharpest submission yeah. games in the UFC period, in my opinion. So I think just that alone makes a difference. But, you know, I, I posted something that I that actually thought round one of that fight was a 10-8 based on the knockdown, based on the fact that I thought Ortega was hurt probably two or three times badly yeah. before yeah. that. I know he came back at the very end of that game, but he didn't really land any strikes. Is that crazy to think? I mean, it no. had to have at least been close no. to a 10-8, I thought, right? Or no? No, I agree with you on that. I'll tell yeah. you, but before I get out before I get out of here, holy shit, that head and arm choke, the way he put that thing on, dude. That you might as well put yeah. that kid's head in a vice. I, that, that was instant, man. I, when I saw him, what he had, he must have cut off 10 arteries with that. I mean, he oh, just that thing yeah. was that was beautiful. And he's got to have tremendous squeeze strength, I would imagine. Plus, the way he put that on, damn, there was no place to go. You know that was a wrap right away. Yeah, and I really feel good for Brian Ortega. I got to know him a little bit doing a Toyo Tires commercial shoot a couple of months ago. And you just feel good for this kid who has dealt with a lot of personal and professional adversity and the shoulder injury, of course, and missing big chunks of his fighting prime to come back in this setting, in Mexico City, in a rematch, lose the first round the way he did, and then to get a submission in round three. Uh, Got to feel good for the fan favorite, T-City, Brian Ortega. Raymond, can I get your thoughts on Brandon Royval and Brandon Moreno in the main event? Yeah, what, one quick thing, though. Please. The way he went out in the first fight, John, and then when he jumped up and rolled his ankle, 
I go, holy oh, shit, this kid is cursed. This, please don't do this. Please just go out there with one leg and just fight. I felt so bad when I saw that. I go, holy crap. But um, God bless him. He did did a great job. Um, main event. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the main event. I don't know what the hell it was looking. I can't. We'll help take your honesty. We'll take your honesty. I I kind of don't know what Moreno. It was just okay for me. Was. <laughs> it was just okay for me. I I I tell you what. Listen, the other kid, Roy Val, tremendous pace. You know, not a big puncher, but he gets his combos off. Knees are very dangerous. His left kick is, you know, his left side is, is you know, obviously his secret to his success and his pace. Moreno, when he was dancing around the first round, I don't know what was going on. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. He started looking like winging punches. I mean, he did land the biggest shots. They had the bigger effect. Um I think they got the scorecard right, if that's what you're asking. But I, I kind of started after the Ortega fight. I it was like anticlimactic to me. I started drifting yeah. into that, yeah. that fight a little bit. And I'm just being honest. No, I mean, that's fair because I it wasn't one of those fights like the Ortega fight. You're engaged, like you can't move. This is you know this fight. There were gaps where nothing was. You know, Roy Val was trying to push the pace. The other guy was moving. Uh, I'm, I got to think about that. I'm a little confused. No, that's I, all I, fair. I yeah, felt I'd rather like, work off of Kenny. <laughs> well, I felt like Moreno just wasn't throwing his usual combinations, never really yeah. found that flow state at all. And I know Cody's suggestive here in the chat of maybe Moreno seemed like he was sparring. I don't know, Kenny. I don't know if there's like, you know, just some high level UFC performance fatigue going on. I just, I don't know, man. I think for Moreno, he's asked a lot of himself over the last three or four years. And uh, yeah, this just wasn't it. You know, I know he could have won the fight and it was close, but this just wasn't yeah. it. Yeah. I think he's still trying to figure out like what allows him to compete at his best. And, and that's fair. Hey, listen, we, we all kind of have to go through that process. What allows us to get us going and bring our best. But, you know, I've seen Moreno, fired up, punching his fist, getting ready to go in there, yelling. And I've seen him just kind of calmly smiling into the octagon. I don't know if that plays a part. I don't know if it's the training. I don't know if whether he's meshing with the camp or not. You know, these are all these are all things. And it, it, as nothing, it, there's so many factors that go into a fight. Um, it, it's hard to identify just one thing, especially if, you know, I'm just looking from the outside, looking in. But it's something wasn't working. And I think Ray kind of nailed it and said the same thing I did Ray, to start off the show was, I don't think he even really knew of what he was supposed to be doing. Out yeah, there. It was I, like, I was he was just kind of throwing a bunch of like stuff out there and seeing yeah. what was going to stick. And if you're doing that at the highest levels of the UFC, man, you, you just can't. And I don't know. I think there was a little bit of confusion on the part of Moreno, how he was actually supposed to approach the fight against Royval, but uh, Royval. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Yeah, and I want to say one thing. It could be, you know, we got to give credit to Roy Val because he's got to, right. you know, we we can't take that away either. We're, we're looking yes. at Moreno. I mean, him, the fights with uh, Figueredo were phenomenal, I thought. I mean, you could see a different intensity. Uh, I just wasn't feeling that. But I don't want to, you know, I, I, again, when I say that, the other kid was good. He was aggressive. Yeah. He's got, he looks like his cardio could go forever. He's got the cuckoo gene toe. He's going to keep pushing. Yep. Uh, and he was definitely the more consistent guy, I thought. Uh, but, you know, I want to give Roy Val credit for maybe disrupting his yes. total game plan. So I don't want to overlook that either. That's but, fair. But Moreno, I've, 
you got to say we've seen them look way better in the past. That's what yeah. I don't like is that right. the, the progression didn't go forward. It looks like it slipped backwards a little bit. But And he's a great fighter, but I, I don't know. Historic output from Brandon Royval, even if he did miss a lot in this fight. But I don't think any fighter has thrown more strikes other than Max Holloway, who, of course, is immortalized behind me for his January 2021 triumph over Calvin Cater over five rounds on Fight Island. But congratulations to Brandon Royval. And uh, yes, it seems like there's not an obvious number one flyweight contender, Raymond. It's too bad your guy, Marab Dwalish Willie, can't make 125. He can barely make 35. <laughs> you know, originally, originally, this is 10 years ago. The game plan was he, he'll fight on the local circuit at 35, and then when he gets to the UFC, he'll go 25. That was definitely the original concept years ago, and I'm glad it worked out for him this way because, uh, right. yeah, 25 would be tough, and he man, he's, he crushed it at 35, so power to him. I think he crushed it at 35 so he wouldn't have to make 25. Right. I think more like that's I think that's the guy he is, man, so. Well, hey, uh, this division, with respect, could use Pumi Nakuda right now. I mean, give the kid a shot. No? Hey, I mean, yep. it's not up to me. I mean, I don't... Uh, I mean, it's crazy. I don't wield a lot of power, but it would seem to me like he would be a great signee for the UFC right now. And it's not to denigrate the top of this division. You know, Charles Johnson and some other fighters have come to the defense of a lot of these contenders. A lot of them either are not available health-wise or... There's maybe too much history, recent or otherwise, with Alessandre Pantoja. And as such, there's not an obvious flyweight title challenger. But I feel pretty convicted in saying one way or another, Pantoja is defending this belt in nine and a half weeks. And it's going to be against one of these guys. So, yeah, which is uh, which is I mean, how, how, how many times did Figueredo fight Moreno? Three, four, five, four. It was. Yeah. Four. I mean, and that, he's already Moreno and Pantoja have already fought four times. One was an exhibition on the Ultimate Fighter, right? But those guys have already fought yeah. four times. And Royval has fought Pantoja twice as well. Yeah. So, yeah, but <laughs> I would think by talking to Mick Maynard, even about Pumi, that uh, he was not happy with that main event. I, I kind of, I don't know yeah. if I'm correct on that or not. No, I but, think uh, you probably are. And, and and the whole landscape looks like it's like where are we going? Yeah. All right, Ray, before I let you go, I ordered the PFL pay-per-view this weekend because I wanted to see Johnny Eblen against our friend Impa Kassan Ganai. Yeah. And I also wanted to see this heavyweight Hanan Fajeda against Ryan Bader. You know, size matters, right? Size matters. And I think Fajeda's size, <laughs> Kenny, was honestly the reason why I bought this pay-per-view. Um, so, Ray, could we just get a few thoughts from you on the heavyweights and uh, potentially Francis Ngannou's next opponent in MMA, Henan Fajeda, after he disposes of Ryan Bader properly? Uh, I want my money back because I didn't hear huh. Kenny's voice. That's, <laughs> well, that's a whole different conversation. That's a whole different conversation. I bought that pay-per-view just to support my buddy. I'll buy... I almost broke the TV, to be honest with you. <laughs> but um, the Kasagane fight, that was I thought that was a good fight. I that was a great he, fight. That was a great fight. Eplin's tough, man. I mean, he got he got his he got his bell rock, but again, the wrestling, the mentality, the grind, that's what won the fight, right? I mean, he had to take a beating, but then he did come back and you know. And win that fight. Uh, close fight, though. It, 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 what a great progression yeah. that guy's had. He's got nothing to be ashamed of. I did think he took his foot off the 
backpedal in the third round, but in a, and in a five round fight, you could see Eblen would just grind that, yep. keep grinding it out. Uh, but hats off to both of those guys. I like Eblen. I really would love to see him fight at the highest level possible. You know what I mean? Cause I think he deserves that. He looks, yeah. he looks good. He looks like he loves being in there. Uh, I, I enjoy watching him fight, man. I oh, think I do too. He's great. And, and hats off to Kasagade cause he's been up and down and looks like he's got his feet under him. He's, he's still going to have a great career moving forward. I think he's still a young kid, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, and a sweetheart and a sweetheart of a guy, John. Oh, the best know. of guys, you right? Know. He's got me reading the Bible, right? Yeah. If I'm reading the Bible, you know that he has had a profound <laughs> impact on me. Kenny, Johnny Eblen, you know, our UFC producer, Zach Candida, was sort of asking me if this was a good win or a bad win in so many words for Johnny Eblen. I feel like the value of these 15 minutes may not be realized until a later date, right? But to fight someone like Impa Kasanganai, who you know is not going away, who's maybe a little bit bigger naturally for Johnny Eblen to bite down on the gum shield, fight through the adversity and finish the fight as strongly as he did. I'm very intrigued by Johnny Eblen. Ken, flow your thoughts. Yeah, you summed it up beautifully. I think that Eblen proved his toughness, that he isn't just a hammer. He can be the nail and find a way to come back and lean on his wrestling and his ability to grind through and win those critical rounds. And I agree with Ray there that, you know, Impa kind of let his let his foot off the gas a little bit. Now, it was close enough where I think there's an argument that maybe Impa won that fight, right, to a certain extent, especially some of the damage sure. he landed on the yeah. feet, all that stuff. But it's not a good look. Did he do everything possible to make it look better for his case? I don't know. I think he could have done some things, stayed a little bit more active, uh, and I think that's where he got thrown off a little bit, uh, if I'm being honest. And I also think that Impa is far better than people realize the gains that he has made in the last couple of years on working on his game as a striker, as a grappler, as a knockout artist, all of those things have been vastly improved since he left the UFC and really had to reorganize how he thinks about the sport, how he trains uh, in, in the sport. And, um, you know, so I think Eblen really found out how good Impa is, but it's the champions that find a way to get it done when it's not going so well. And I think that's what Evelyn proved at the end of the day. I think he's a fantastic fighter. I also think that as a fan, we kind of got robbed of seeing five rounds. I don't know why, yes, if yes. I'm being honest, why weren't these championship fi uh, fights? Champ why did they have championship rounds for a championship fight? Why didn't we see five rounds? It made no sense to me. But anyways... Um, you know, so I think things would have been very interesting if we saw rounds four and five. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, um, just kind of a head scratcher there. But it was a great fight. Yes. High level mixed martial arts, drama. Uh, both guys fought extremely well. I loved the fight. Yeah. And let me say one thing. I think Eblin grows tremendously from this fight. I think he was the type of guy he loves being in there. He never really got rocked like that. Now he knows, you know what? I got to I got to square up a couple of things. And I think he's gonna he's gonna come out of there for a, even as good as he is, he's gonna grow from that. I think for the first time, I think he hit hit the adversity from a getting your yeah. bell rock standpoint, and he now knows that you know what against certain guys, I'm gonna have to approach it maybe a little differently because you know he's he's tough as a motherfucker. There's no question about that. So I, I think he's gonna get better. And like again, I'd love to see him at the top, highest level of competition. Yeah. Been a good few months for American top team here in Coconut Creek, Florida. All right, Ray, before we let you go, talk to me about this Henan Fajeda and how you might handicap his chances 
against Francis Ngannou. This dude is fucking massive. That's got to count for something. Yeah, I think so. Look, it's, uh, I mean, look, Ryan Bader had a great resurrection of his career, uh, but he's an older guy now too. So it's hard to, you know, base anything on that. Uh, Look, with Francis, it's always this. It's the firstest with the mostest is the bestest. You know, you got two big guys like that. that I can't see him going back and forth in the pocket, you know, for, yeah, for yeah. very long, Kenny. I think it's they both have that knockout power at a very high level. And I think it's going to be whoever gets there first. Based on what I saw, I never really yeah. saw the other guy, yeah. you know, based on that. Hey, before I get out of here, though, please, I, I had a kid, LeVon. I can't even get his last name correct. Another, um, he's in that occupied land of Georgia that I guess Russia oh, okay. has. So whatever that, I forget what that makes him. But uh, what an outstanding when he had his first fight. Watch this kid. I think he's going to do something. His stand-up, Kenny, is <clears throat> phenomenal and exactly wow. what we talked about. Uh, he'll be working that wrestling and jujitsu. That's it. His stand-up, I don't even think could get it much better. Um, wow. So watch out for this kid. He had his first win. Shout out to Eric Heyer and uh, not Nazim Sadikov. They did a great job. They took him up to Buffalo with the LFA. Uh, he did have a couple of hits after the bell, which was not a good look, but I could tell you I'll, I'll vouch for the kid. It'll never happen again. He's such a nice kid in the gym, but He's been dying to fight. Nobody would take a fight with him. And I think the just the, the, the rage and everything just came out. And he was yeah. just like a uncaged animal. But then, you know, he goes right back to being a humble, really, really nice kid. So Ray, uh, what, what weight is he? 55, 55, which is, you know, and I thought we saw a lot of good 55 is on the UFC. Yeah. Some of those that Moreno, that Zell, uh, Zellweger, Zell Huber and Manuel Zell Huber. Torres. Yep. There, there's some good guys, man. Yeah, best weight class in the UFC. Don't yeah, add yeah, me. that that weight class, I think is killer stacked. Dude. Yeah. Ray Longo made it every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. You can follow him on X at Ray Longo MMA and on Instagram. Just search Ray Longo. It ends nine yeah. three five eight. Hey, really enjoying you on this new setup, my man. When's the next haircut? When's the oh, next haircut? Oh, we're coming. We're coming. Uh and, uh, not this week, the following week. All right. But uh, that's it. Uh, what else do we got? That was it? Yeah, you're good to go, oh, man. I'm not sure anything else. Shout out to Will Berger. What a fine young man this guy How is. How about that? This kid is phenomenal. You guys did the right thing. I could, I could, my wife loved him. Oh, great. My dog, Lucky, loved him. Everybody loved him. How about that's that? A, he's a really nice kid. Man. No, he's Any, the best. Anything we could do to help that guy or I could do. You say the word is getting done. All right. We're trying to get him some audio work with the UFC. So Ryan Mitchell, Miles LaFosse, if you're listening, can't go bring him into the fold. Kid. Our underpaid production assistant, Will Berger, getting a nice shout out there in the Ray Longo minute. Ray, get the fuck out of here. We'll talk to you next Great week. Great stuff, okay? Ray. All right, guys. Take it easy. Thanks. The Ray Longo minute every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Ken Flo, I do need to get your thoughts on Henan Fajeda before we move forward. Problema. Yeah, no, listen, this guy... He can crack. And it's one thing to be six foot nine, John. It's another thing to be six foot nine and be able to move like a cornerback in the NFL. This guy, he has crazy athleticism. He does a backflip off of one leg. Okay. Just to give you an idea how, how powerful this dude is. That is someone who is six foot nine. That counter shot that he hit against Bader. You don't see a lot of dudes at heavyweight do it like that and do it that kind with that kind of execution and speed. Again, six 
foot nine. It's crazy. And um, I, I think that there's other things that he needs to work on. But I will say this. He has come a long way since the first time that I saw him in the PFL. Um, I do think he's a legitimate threat to anybody. If you want to stand up and trade with Henan Fajeda, watch out. I think where he's vulnerable is, is on the takedown, is on the ground, fighting off of his back and things like that. Um, you know, he is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, but still needs a lot of work in that area and kind of understanding where he is in the cage and what he needs to do to get back to his feet and things. But um, he, he is very explosive. And if he lands a big shot, um, he could take you out. Now, whether he ends up fighting Francis Ngannou or not, I have no idea. I think right. there was a huge miss at the end of that event when you have Francis Ngannou walking away from the cage while Francis Ngannou, while, while Henan Fajeda is getting a belt around his waist and Francis Ngannou just kind of you know walking away. I don't think that's a great sign if I'm being honest. So right. I don't know what's going to happen there. It's like, hey, the whole point was to find out who's going to fight Francis Ngannou. And you have Francis Ngannou be like, okay, the event's over. Take it easy, guys. Um, we never got the photo op. We never got you know, any buildup of that fight after that. So I don't know, man, it was, it was kind of a mess in, in a lot of different ways. I'm being honest. I was just going to say, I'm not going to hold my breath that that fight actually happens. And if you want to suggest that Francis Ngannou was just being a good egg and allowing Fajeda to have his moment, then I respect that. And maybe that's why he left, but not a great visual at all. When you have a cameraman sending, you know, you have a cameraman following Francis Ngannou as he is leaving instead of doing a stare down with, uh, and on Fajeda, but it will be interesting if the fight happens because Ngannou's been doing a lot of boxing training and that would be a mixed martial arts contest. I would submit to you that maybe Hanan Fajeda is a live underdog if that fight actually happens. All right, now time to bring on Brian Petrie on social media. You can find him at Brian Petrie MMA as we transition to our UFC fight night this weekend featuring Biggie Boy, Jarzinho, Rosenstrike, and Shamil Gazeeb. What's up, BP? What's going on, boys? First off, Ray looked fantastic. John, <laughs> that's your color, my guy. If you can get him a gentle know, right? suit on the UFC, I mean, chicks everywhere will be soaking their shorts. And Ken Flo, 50-50 Ryan Hall shirt. I love it, bud. You guys look fantastic. <laughs> Let's fucking go. Well, thank you, buddy. It's always a privilege for us to be able to talk with you in advance of a UFC fight night or pay-per-view. Now, we got a couple of name files today. And... <laughs> Some people really like the pronunciation of the week. Some people don't necessarily like this segment. We feel sure. like it's a public service announcement, but I'm not sure that the right people are actually listening to it. But Umar, Khabib's mm -hmm. cousin, is fighting this weekend. And so I did the voiceovers over the weekend, and I pulled up Umar's name file just to make sure. And what I notice is that one of the vowel sounds is different than you might expect. So do you, you care to reckon how we pronounce Umar's last name, Bri? This is embarrassing because this is a royalty name in MMA and I butcher it every fucking time. So I'm going to go very slow. It's Umar Nurmagomedov is what I would deal yeah. with. So that's that circle gets the square. So Kenny, you know, Magomed Ankalaev, right? It's yeah. spelled M-A-G-O-M-E-D, but it's not Magomed. It's Magomed, right? Right. And so it is Nurmagomedov. It's not Nurmagomedov. And you'll hear Umar say exactly that right here, right now. My name's Umar Nurmagomedov. My name's Umar Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov, yes. not Nurmagomedov. So that's the clarification this week. Nailed it. And then we have one more. Yeah. Shamil Gazeev is fighting Biggie Boy Jarzinho in the main event. Bri, care to uh, take a crack at Biggie Boy's last name for us? 
I mean, I, I, I go with Rosenstruck. You go Rosenstruck, huh? Struck, yeah. All right, let's hear, uh, let's hear Jarzinho. My name is Jarzinho Biggie Boy Rosenstruck. My name is Jarzinho Biggie Boy Rosenstruck. What are you hearing, Camflo? I'm hearing strike. Me too. Yeah. Bri, what do you hear? I hear strike as well. Yeah. All right. Well, no, not necessarily, right? I do think that file is open to interpretation, but I do think a lot of announcers try to get cute with it and say Mm -hmm. struck or strike or whatever. The guy says fucking Rosenstrike, and that's (laughs) easiest to say. That is. So it is UFC fight night. Rosenstrike versus Gazeev. Don't forget, place your bets coming up on the back end. Forgettable week for our guys last weekend (laughs) in Mexico City. First prediction today, fellas, at flyweight, 12th ranked Steve Urseg, minus 310, taking on number nine, Matt Schnell, who comes back plus 250. Those odds right now available on DraftKings Sportsbook. So, Brian, this fight initially booked for UFC 295 last November. Urseg stayed on the card. He beat the replacement opponent, Alessandro Costa. Now he draws Schnell, who has not fought since a knockout loss to Mataj Nicolau at the end of 2022. What do you think about this one? Urseg, the favorite, or Schnell, the dog? I love this fight. I love Ursek. I think this guy's good. He looks like an old English teacher I had in high school who, coincidentally enough, we all thought was a porn star. And Ursek has a lot in common with this guy because he fucks. This guy can bang. I love Ursek. He took the fight on short notice against a dangerous Brazilian. Got wobbled. Got cracked a little bit in that fight, but stayed composed. Was a giant favorite. Has good striking. Cardio's elite. His finishing ability on the ground is there, but I don't wouldn't call it elite yet, but it's there. He hunts for it. He looks for it. And you got Schnell, who's very good on the ground, better off his back. The triangle's dangerous. We all know the Sumajari fight, but he came back a little too soon after that war, got put down by Nicolau. Chin has been in question for, for Matt for a little bit now, and uh, but he cashes as a, as a big plus money underdog. That's what he does. But I love Ursake here. I really am a big fan of this kid. I think he's fantastic. I think his long-range striking is good. I think he gets a knockout in this fight. Uh, I understand the line. Some people were kind of on Twitter going, Matt Snell at plus money always looks good. You're right. But I think Ursake is going to walk through him here. I think there's going to be a big finish and a coming out party for Steve Ursake. Kenny, not totally out of the realm of possibility that the winner of this fight between Steve Ursake and Matt Schnell actually finds himself fighting Alessandre Pantoja in nine and a half, ten weeks for the title, right? I don't know what they're going to do at flyweight. This mm-hmm. is a big fight. It's on the main card. Urseg, about a three-to-one favorite. Kemp, flow your thoughts. Listen, Brian is on this, dude. He's on this one. Uh, Urseg is a problem, dude. Listen, and, and I don't, I don't want to hear it. Anything at anyone after the fight saying that he looks like me. Do I look like Roy McDonald? <laughs> do I look like Topuria? Do I look like Urseg? I'm blocking your ass, okay? <laughs> Probably not, but I might. Who knows? <laughs> kind of mood I'm in. Um, no, this, this dude's good, dude. He's just clean. He's nice. He's sweet. Any other things I can I, I throw at him? Um, just very, very technical fighter. Very smart. Always in the right position. Knows how to mix it up. Knows how to integrate his striking game at a pretty high level. Knows how to integrate his, his ground game at a high level. Uh, this is one of those new breed fighters, man. This is going to be way more common as we move forward. I like this kid a lot. I think Matt Schnell's got some real skills, though. I think he's very dangerous. I, too, think he's very good everywhere. Um, but I think Urseg is just a little bit more uh, fundamentally sound and hasn't seen the same amount of wars as Matt Schnell. But make no mistake about it. Schnell is skilled. I think this is going to be a real fun fight that is won by Urseg. Today's main event challenge presented by DraftKings. Stay tuned because you'll hear more about DraftKings and all it has to offer throughout the show. DraftKings, the crown 
is yours, and perhaps the crown will soon be Umar Nurmagomedov's. He's undefeated, number 13 in the Bantamweight division, Bry. He is a minus 1050 favorite against the newcomer, Bexat Almakan, who comes back plus 675. Nurmagomedov did have to pull out of that scheduled fight against Corey Sanhagen last August. It was due to a shoulder injury. Shoulder injury. Now he has returned to health, and he puts his 16-0 record on the line against Kazakhstan's Almakan, who is 17-1, Bry. And he's won nine consecutive fights to arrive at this UFC debut. Big fight here at 135 pounds. Big spread as well, Bri. Which way are you going? I might be out of my out of my head here by saying this, but this might be a worse matchup for Cousin Umar than Sanhagen. This kid from Kazakhstan is fucking good. He has good striking. He's fought really good people. He's from a country that are producing fantastic fighters. He is not short on confidence. He got the call to fight Cousin Uzmar. He wasn't the first on that list. I can guarantee you that. He said yes. Other people said no. Um, fantastic fight. The number is crazy to me. Absolutely crazy. I get it. But Umar's coming off a shoulder injury. That can be a problem. Look at TJ Dillashaw. He never fully recovered when he blew his shoulder out. You know, that is something with a heavy grappler who a guy who trains as hard as Umar Obviously, throws concern when he's throwing 1150 at me. He's, he's 10 to 1, you know, 11 to 1. That's crazy to me. And Amanon, if I'm saying that right, I'm probably not. Sorry, John. Uh, I look, all I did this whole weekend was look at tape on this kid. And he is good. His striking's good. He's calm. His wrestling good. Defensive wrestling, it, it, it's getting there, but uh, his submission defense is good. His one loss is by submission. So he's really worked on that. But that was against an absolute freak who should be in the UFC as well. So there's no short on confidence there. I want to do a no pick for this, but I'm not that kind of guy. Give me the dog. I'm going against the family. I'm going against the Nurmagomedovs. Madoffs. Uh, I am going to place a bet. That's why I have to pick them because the line's too wide. I'm going to lay a hundred bucks and, and hopefully get 700. That's the way I'm thinking of this. I'm a value boy. Uh, so give me the guy from Kazakhstan. Kenflo Almakan, we don't have his audio file yet, so that's my best guess based upon the film as to the pronunciation of Bexat Almakan, plus 675 on DraftKings Sportsbook. But you know what I love about Umar is that he's going to have to fight the best guys mm -hmm. anyway, and he is of a mentality that if he can't beat this guy, then maybe he's not ready for the Corey Sanhagens of the world. I know some people were surprised that he would take on a newcomer and a highly touted one at that. But I love Nurmagomedov's appetite for this fight. The question is, how does he do with the matchup, Ken Flo? Yeah, this is very, very interesting. And I agree with Brian. Um, I, I wonder if it's Almahan, the K and the H sometimes will make that ha sound. But e either way, like Bexot, he's a very, very good striker. I think that um, you look at you know all the knockouts. What is it? 13 knockouts out of his 17 wins two submissions. I don't think he's fighting world beaters by any means, but when I look at it from a like a pure technique standpoint and a danger standpoint, this kid can strike. Watch out. Everybody from that area, right? Kazakhstan, Georgia, you know, the Dagestan area of Russia, like these are killers. They are hungry. They are well-trained. They have a, a rich martial arts history over there. Uh, great wrestling, great striking, Sambo. Uh, he could be a very interesting underdog, especially given this crazy line. However, Brian, never go against the family. <laughs> never go against the family. What are you doing? Your Medoff, his consistency, his wrestling, his striking, uh, especially from the outside, dude, his leg game is ridiculous. Um, 
Uh, he does have to watch out, though. If, if Bexot's able to get on the inside and land some crazy shots, he's very fast. But I think Nurmagomedov early, is that's when he's going to be most susceptible. I think Nurmagomedov's one of those guys that needs to get into a rhythm. Uh, and once he gets into his rhythm, just get the hell out of the way or just tap out, run out of the cage, whatever you're going to do, because he's just going to it's going to get worse. All right. Um, so I think once he gets into his rhythm, he, he's just going to run away with it. He'll he'll put uh, Bexot, I believe, on his back and, and probably finish him shortly thereafter, whether it's a TKO or a submission. Uh, but early, that's where Umar really needs to mind his P's and Q's. Um, but uh, I believe in the family, Brian. I like Nurmagomedov here, but I think that's a juicy, juicy line if you're paying attention to what Bexot has done. Mm-hmm. All right, nicely done, Kenny Florian. We now move along to a flyweight title eliminator, eighth-ranked Mohamed Mokayev, minus 270, taking on number seven, Alex Perez, who is plus 220. United States debut for Mohamed Mokayev trying to improve to 6-0 in the UFC here. And he faces the former world title challenger, Alex Perez. Huge fight for the fly guys. Brian Petrie, which way are you going on this one? I hope I hope Alex Perez makes it to the fight. I mean, I, I listen, I'm going to be putting a lot of money in Mokayev here. He's going to be a part of my parlay. I like the low number. I like his skills. I was a little critical of him early on in my twit, you know, early on in his career. I thought maybe there were some possibilities, some more finishes there. But now that's what he's doing. He's drowning people and he's taking their arms. And next in the third round, he's calculated. He's killer. He's cerebral. I love that. You know, on the feet, I think there's still obviously some work needs to be done. Perez can crack a little bit. He can wrestle as well. But Mokayev is just a different animal in there. And Perez just hasn't been in there uh, enough for him to really kind of keep up with this kid's speed. This is next level flyweight that Perez hasn't seen yet. Um, and unless Prez lands a big shot, I think Mokayev is, is going to get him out of there with, with a submission. Possibly in the second round is what I'm seeing. Tough for first round for Perez. He'll get drowned in the second, get submitted by Mokayev. Uh, I'm all over Muhammad here. Muhammad Mokayev did an interview with Bala Muhammad and my brother Jason Anik yesterday on the Anakin Florian Podcast YouTube channel. So you can check that out. Not now, but right now. And one thing he did say, Kenny, he has taken the fight weight miss from Perez or not. So hopefully this fight stays together. Hopefully both guys make weight. I mentioned earlier, Kenny, Alex Perez, less than three and a half minutes of octagon time dating to November of 2020. Your thoughts on him here against the undefeated Mohamed Mokayev. Listen, I think Perez is a very good fighter. um, And I think he's got some good skills everywhere. Uh, But he's going against a guy who really is a specialist in Mokayev, who is just so good as a specialist that he can make it work against essentially anybody. And uh, again, all these Dagestani fighters that come from those wrestling backgrounds, they know exactly, you know, everybody knows exactly what you're going to do, uh, but you still can't stop it. And I think that's going to be the case here. Mokayev's ability to get into that clinch, especially wrestle you up against the cage, um, is is a lot to deal with. And I think that w- what's making it more difficult, I think, Perez for Perez is the fact that, you know, he's five foot six going against a guy, Mokayev's, who's who's five foot nine. He's going to have that reach advantage, going to have that length advantage. So for him to land those shots, he's going to have to really get on the inside consistently and land big shots without giving up a clinch, without giving up a leg tackle. So that is going to be difficult for him, I think. Um, and I think. I don't know. I, I think Brian called it very well. I, I could see it being a, a pretty close first round. I think that's where Perez needs to get it done uh, is round one, land something big, try to surprise Mokayev and hope that he's able to finish it. 
Uh, but after that, I think it only gets worse for him. Um, you know, the, the wrestling wears on you, the weight wears on you. That's where Makai will take over either with a submission, a TKO or by decision. So yeah, I like Mokaev here as well. All right. These guys will have a thousand dollars to spend at show's end. First though, we get to the co-main event and main event. Co-main event features the oncoming light heavyweight force, Vitor Petrino, minus 290, Tyson Pedro, plus 235. So Petrino is managed by Derek Brunson, the meanest Jedi's native, 10-0 and 0 as an MMA pro after a knockout of Modestus Bukowskis last November. Now, of course, Bri, the challenges will get stiffer. He draws the UFC-tested Tyson Pedro. He's looked pretty good since returning from that extended layoff in 2022, having won three of his last four. He's a pretty big underdog, though, this weekend against the undefeated Vitor Petrino. VP, who do you have in the co-main event? Good fight at 205. 205, I feel like, is wide open. We need some people here. And, and Tyson Page is a good-looking kid. You know, exciting fighter. He could be the next guy, right? He's marketable. Uh, he's funny in interviews. You ever seen any of his podcast appearances? He's great. But Petrino is a stud. You know, if I got tan and took my shirt off, I'd probably look a lot like Petrino. But unfortunately, I'm I'm, I'm kidding, people. I don't. Don't huh. me in the comments. Okay, I look nothing like Petrino. Uh, this kid's, you know, he's got the beach muscles. He's just like the 90s American gladiator. And what's crazy is, is he doesn't gas. You know what I mean? He goes to the second, third round, and he looks good. He has a good ground game on top, at least. He has good, powerful striking. You know, Tyson Pedro, when he came to the UFC, he was more of a grappler. He wanted to get you on the ground, hit his Kimura, hit his chokes. Now he's starting to become a striker. He's coming off an Anton Turkali knockout, which is beautiful. Long limbs, that city kickboxing distance management that he learned was fantastic. A lot of these guys have similar opponents. One beat Modestus Bukakis, one did not. Petrino beat him. Uh, and, 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 uh, excuse me, Tyson Pedro fell short. And obviously, the Anton Chikarli fight, one finished, one did it. But it's interesting to me that, you know, you know, that the line, I want, I want so bad to go for Tyson Pedro. That's why I'm, I'm pausing here. But Petrino's my guy. He's my guy since coming off the Ultimate Fighter, or excuse me, Contender Series. I think he's going to get it done. I think he's going to finish. I'm rooting for Tyson Pedro. I like him. It's a hard pick to pick against him because I do think he's marketable. He has some really good skills. He's finally with the right camp, training with like, if you're a 205er or a heavyweight, go to City Kickboxing if you're in that part of the world. They have the best room in, there is. Um, but yeah, I just think he's going to fall short to Petrino here. Sorry for being long-winded there. But yeah, get, give me Vitor Petrino. No, it's good stuff. Tyson Pedro cross-training at the Freestyle Fighting Gym under Joe Lopez and also City Kickboxing. And Kenny, he's talked to us in fighter meetings past about just the new setups and the striking fundamentals that he has gone to great lengths to learn under the guise of Eugene Behrman at City Kickboxing. So in theory, Tyson Pedro is going to present an even better version than we saw last September in Sydney when he did knock out Anton Cercali. Plus 235 for Tyson Pedro. Kenny Vitor Petrino, minus 290. Who do you like in the comment? I don't know, but what's in Petrino's protein shakes? Give me some of that. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. Yeah. Wow. That dude is built. He's built up, bricked up. Bricked up. From the feet up. Um, <laughs> yeah, but Petrino, he can crack, dude. Uh, he, he's got a lot of muscle. Um, I, I think that he's, he's an interesting prospect. I think he has delivered uh, so far. No question about that. Do I think he's... Um, you know, do I think his defense is perfect? No, absolutely not. I do think he he gets a little lazy with his hands sometimes, a little lazy with his positioning, his chin. And I think it opens up the door for Pedro to be a very interesting underdog because of that. Um, I love the last Pedro against Turkali. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that was the best version that I've seen. I think that 
He's finally kind of fulfilling some of that potential. Um, and, and it's certainly always been there. The work ethic, uh, may, maybe the training hasn't always been there. But now that he's with Behrman, I think he's going. It's going to be aided a lot in that process. Great sign seeing uh, that that Pedro in his last fight, and I, I think I like him in this spot. To be honest, I I don't see this one going the distance. I could see Petrino knocking out Pedro just because the dude hits hard, and I could see Pedro knocking out Petrino as well just because positionally, defensively, there's some vulnerabilities there. But when I see the line here, um, I think Pedro's the one to bet on here. Uh, will I? I don't know. We'll see. Nice teaser there. Heavyweight headliner Shamil Gazee, minus 155. Biggie boy Jarzinho Rosenstrike is plus 130. So Rosenstrike still commanding a ranking, Bry, number 12 mm-hmm. in the world, despite losing three of his last four. Hasn't fought since he was humbled by Jailton Almeida. That was last May. Gazeeb on the other side, some of you may know the story, was on the national volleyball team. Pupil of the late, great Abdulmanap Nurmagomedov. Abdulmanap needs to go into the Hall of Fame, by the way, into that contributor's wing at some point in time. But Abdulmanap had a chance encounter with Shamil Gazeev after a volleyball practice one day. And Gazeev got invited to MMA class. And I guess you could say the rest is history. But he is 12-0. Pretty good UFC debut. Had a knockout last December at UFC 296. And now he's favored to beat Biggie Boy in that tiny little 25-foot octagon at the Apex this weekend. Who do you have in the heavyweight main event, Bri, Gazeev or Rosenstrike? I am I am just absolutely flabbergasted. And I don't use that word lightly, that Rosenstrike and Derek Lewis have never fought. That's crazy to me, right? I'm not a good matchmaker. Sean Shelby, Mick Maynard, they're the best in the world. But why have those two not fought? They, they're yeah. not going to touch the ground. I mean, listen, we've all had disappointments. But on paper, that seems like that should be a fight. Anyway, Rosenstrike, ah, you know, I, I want more from him on the takedown defense. I want more from him on the get-up game. When he gets taken down, he just kind of lays there, tries to stand up. That's not going to work against this guy. Gazeev is, is, is tough. He's big. He's strong. Athletic as well. When he put out Martin Boudet, uh, or Boudet, excuse me, I don't know how to pronounce his name. When he put him out. That was surprising. I know he's not a high-level guy, but he's a rugged, big heavyweight that kind of loves those kind of fights. He got shut out and put out. He landed four strikes against Gazeev, and that was, wasn't even his best part of his game. I think the best part of his game is hit you, go to the ground, I'm going to take your neck. And that's where Rosenstrike has problems. He gets to the ground. I don't like his defense on there. He, cannot, he has that one touch. He can one-touch anybody. Uh, I just don't think it's going to happen. I like Aziz here. I like Aziz big. I like the low number. I'm very terrible at betting heavyweights uh, if you look at my track record, but I, I like Aziz here. I'm going to go all in. Uh, I like him. I like him. Nicely done, Bryce. Shamil Gazeev, minus 155. Jarzino Rosen strike plus 130. Can flow. Your mic is hot. All right. Let's do it. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, Rosen strikes um, inconsistency. You, if you look over the course of like eight, fights it's three and five it's hard to have a whole lot of reliability on someone like that but you know brian nailed it this is a guy who can put your lights out if he lands on the right spot there's certain times you see him he looks hot the other times you see him and he looks not so um i I don't know i I like aziv here he hasn't fought a bunch of you know world beaters either however i do like the fact that he does have the option uh in the skills to put rosenstruck Rosenstrike on his back. I, I definitely think that would be the smartest approach. Can Gazeev strike? Yes. Can he even knock out Rosenstrike? Yeah, I think he can. Is that the smartest approach? Probably not. I think he should put Rosenstrike on his back, look for the TKO or submission there. Um, I think Gazeev doesn't have the 
best submissions in the world, but I think he has enough of a submission game uh, to get it done against Rosenstrike. Um, you know, eight knockouts, three submissions, undefeated right now. Um, I, I just love the momentum for Gazeev. So uh, give me Gazeev here. Rosenstrike made his UFC debut in 2019. He weighed in at 241 and a half pounds. He started 4-0 in the UFC, had that memorable lip-altering knockout of Alistair Overeem, also knocked out Andre Arlovsky. But he's been fighting closer to 265 since. So I'm curious to see uh, what number Rosenstrike comes in at in this fight that was to be in Saudi Arabia. Instead, that is your headliner at the UFC Apex this weekend. I'm doing a fight night at the Apex for the first time in a long time. I'm excited to get out there. So we'll see if we can uh, bring some energy to that building this Saturday night. All right, time now for Place Your Bets. Brought to you by johnannick.com, where you can get 20% off all Anik and Florian podcast designs with promo code One More Sleep. One More Sleep collection is up. That includes the design you see here for UFC 299 in Miami. All right, quickly to recap, last week, Team Petrie, just a couple bets, but you missed on both of them, minus 1,000 on the week. It brings your year-to-date to to minus 778.70. Team Florian, all three of your wagers that we actioned had Yair Rodriguez in them. You also had a fourth bet on Raul Rosas Jr. straight for 400. That was no action. So minus 600 on the week for Ken Flo. You're at minus 1209.67, which means Brian Petrie's lead is down to four hundred and thirty dollars and ninety seven cents, Bri. You got a thousand bucks. UFC Fight Night Rosenstrike versus Gazeev. How you spending your money? No, no, no lead when I'm in the negative. I'm embarrassed. I, I literally, I'm sitting there looking at what I bet. And I'm looking at the fights. I'm just staring. I was there staring TV for probably two hours, going, "What are you, what are you doing? Two bets? What are you doing? All right, here we go. I'm gonna spread the money out a little bit this week. Steve Ursay. I told you earlier, he fucks. This guy fucks. Four hundred dollars. On minus 325 of Steve Ursaig. I love that bet. I like Vitor Petrino for $300. Uh, I think he gets it done. I like Shamil Gazeev at $200. And then I'm taking a shot on the big doggy dog, Amakan. A uh, hundred bucks on Amakan. If I'm saying his name right, I'm probably not. But give me, give me Amakan hundred bucks. That's that's a, that's a juicy wager right there. Nicely done and four straight wagers. Petrie not dicking around with the parlay machine this week whatsoever. All right, and Ken Flo. Thousand bucks to spend, man. What do you think? Oh boy, let's see. Um, I, I've been kind of doing this methodology here. I'm going to repeat it because, again, I'm an idiot. So <laughs> I, I like Urseg. Uh, like, give me plus four hundred on Urseg. Uh, really like Mokayev. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, was surprised he wasn't a, a bigger favorite. So g- give me four hundred on him as well, and then give me a, a two hundred dollar parlay on Urseg, Mokayev, and Gaziev. Nice. All right. And a three-leg parlay for your remaining 200 on Urseg, Mokayev, and Gazeev. So it seems like largely you guys are aligned. Brian Petrie churning out MMA handicapping content all week on his MMA Takes podcast. You can find him on X at Brian Petrie MMA. Big gun. Appreciate the time, buddy. Best of luck on the board this weekend. You guys are the best. Have a good week, boys. All right, that does it for Place Your Bets. We'll see how it plays out this weekend at the UFC Apex. Jorginho Rosenstrike, Shamil Gazeev, the men on the marquee. All right, now with us on the guest line, good friend of mine. I would argue this man is like the best youth soccer coach in all of Boca Raton, but more on that later. The founder and CEO of Fortuna Wealth here in Boca Raton, Florida, certified financial planner, Evan Mayer is with us. Evan, good morning, brother. Appreciate a few minutes. How are we doing? Good morning. Wow. What an, what an honor. Uh, you know, the girls soccer coach, GU 12 girls under 12. I'm, I'm, I'm the Bill Belichick of that. era. <laughs> well, I just admire the way you sort of 
you strike a great balance in game between being verbal, being heard from, providing that in-game coaching, but you're also nice about it. You're not a coddler at all, but I feel like you've struck a good balance. So I have admired you from afar. I am making my coaching debut next season. Uh, I think it'll be the 10-year-olds or 11-year-olds, and we'll see if I can take a page out of Evan Mayer's book. But it's and you're going, to- you're going in our league, right? You're going in, in the girls under 12? Yeah, I guess so. So does that mean I'm be coaching against you? I don't You're know. You're coaching if I want. against me, but don't, don't worry. I'll, g- I'll give you everything. I, I you know, I, right. it, it's an open book. All right, all the practice drills and all of that. So, a lot of things I want to get into with you today. But you made the 2023 edition of the Forbes list of the top best in state wealth advisors. And I remember when this sort of crossed my wake. And I think anytime you make any sort of Forbes list, it's a tremendous accomplishment. So congratulations on that. Uh, how did that come to pass? And how did you find out that you had cracked the Forbes list last year? You know, it's just by by growth and by by assets under management and um, and by practice management. So it was it was a cool honor. I've gotten into like little publications, you know, as time goes on and you highlight those little publications. And then when you finally hit a Forbes, uh, the Forbes list, which is kind of the pinnacle for our business, um, it's just awesome recognition. And um, so thank you very much. But yeah, it's a it, it was an honor to get in there and truly excited about it. Obviously, it adds a lot of uh, value uh, and, and, and marketing and, and so on and so forth. But it also shows a commitment to the clients that I've had and the, the commitment of those clients and, and the practice we've grown. Uh, you know, we've we, we went from, you know, a, a little bank advisor 10 years ago to, you know, owning our own firm and, and, and managing, you know, we're just north of, of 650 million bucks. So we're, we're, we're growing and we're getting bigger. And uh, as time goes on, uh, Hopefully, we keep growing up that list, too. Definitely on the right ascension. Evan Mayer with us here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. So you are a lifelong Miami Dolphins fan. Does that mean you root for the Miami Heat and all the South Florida teams or no? Yeah, I was born here. Like, funny enough, you know, in in, in South Florida, it, you're you're normally a New York transplant. Uh, and now it's a lot, of, a lot of people from Maryland. A lot of other people from the East Coast are, are, are moving to Florida, obviously, in droves. And uh so I was born here, and and when you're born here, unfortunately, you became a fan of all the the, the local sports. And uh, you know, I've been agonizing as a Dolphin fan watching the Patriots stardom and and your team uh, obviously just you know extend extend descend. And and then last year and the year prior with Mike McDaniel's joining, and you know, and then the Miami Heat. You know, keep in mind once we got Pat Riley in 1990, I think it was 96, we got Riley, um, and then those Heat, you know, uh, Knicks battles were going on, and, and right. you know. So, yeah, it's been been Florida sports all the way. Um, and, you know, UFC, by the way, has grown significantly down here uh, through through the last few years. So we're getting there. We're getting there. Still some work to be done domestically, but definitely in Florida, it feels like more people are paying attention to it than were, say, five to seven years ago, which is a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the, the when you guys opened up that the, the top team. I think it's on uh, uh, 441. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, in the Turnpike, and it was like this beautiful building, and we're like, "Top team, what's that about?" So, uh, and that that was that was a few years back. So it's uh, you know, you're seeing you're seeing it evolve. So I want to read a quote for you right now, if I could. This is from my dear friend and co-host Kenny Florian, who is bullish about Bitcoin. And I will say, full disclosure, since Kenny told me to invest in Bitcoin, I've made about $35,000 at least on the return. I haven't cashed anything out. But for whatever that is worth, since he told me to invest, it has been profitable, for lack of a better adjective for me. But I want to read this because this was a tweet that Kenny wrote to someone, Evan. Basically, I put out something like, thanks, Kenny, BTC on the rise. And somebody, an MMA handicapper, wrote to me like, 
get your gains while you can. So Kenny wrote back, this isn't gambling, Yanni. It's the purest form of collateral and the most scarce asset ever created. Anyone can take gains whenever they want, but just like New York City real estate many decades ago, you keep it as long as you can. Exchanging it for a depreciating dollar would be silly. So certainly you are embedded in this business and Bitcoin has become a thing. I'm curious where you stand on cryptocurrency and all that. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you uh, I'll give you my history, I and mean, there, there's there's some there's some truth to what he wrote, and there's some non-truth to what he wrote, which is scarcity of asset. There's been many other scarcity of asset things out there, and what just because something is scarce doesn't necessarily mean that it should hold value. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing. There's a there's a very big difference between investing and gambling, right? When when we invest money into something. Um, we're looking for a long-term gain now. Now, unfortunately, with with Bitcoin, um, and and we'll talk about cryptocurrency in general. Um, and let me let me first say this: uh, Bitcoin is not an SEC regulated um, instrument. It is not it regulated. Is. It's, it's, it's it's regulated uh, as an ETF, is it not? N- no, no, not yet. And it it's it, it getting, is an ETF. It's it is a regulated well, well, uh, well, ETF that's regulated so, by the SEC. So let's let let let's let, let's understand that the ETF is tracking the price of Bitcoin. But it's not actually buying Bitcoin. It's tracking the price of Bitcoin. Right. But um, the SEC oversees ETFs, does it, it not? It oversees. E- yes. So ETF stands for ex- exchange traded fund. Okay? okay. So it's a fund basically that tracks that price just as GLD is out. And I think that's a great thing. That just That's just getting approved um, as we speak. It is a, a good thing to have out that people will have access to be able to trade Bitcoin pricing. Okay, but they don't actually own the Bitcoin, so that's the first and foremost. That is correct through the ETF. Yeah, that's yes. right. Yeah. All right. So, so let's just talk about blockchain. Blockchain's great. Okay, I am fully think that blockchain is a great technology. Let's also understand that the dollar got removed off of the gold standard in 1971 by Richard Nixon. So the the, the U.S. dollar used to be tracked by gold, right? Fort Knox, all this all this gold, right? Uh, fiat currency basically started in 1971. Okay, and since that time, obviously, we've grown into more and more debt. And so there's obviously big concerns over that. And there's also concerns that government regulates the dollar. And that's a bad thing, per se, not necessarily because we're 25 percent of the world's GDP. So we're 25 percent of the world's buyers. So if you owned uh, the UFC, right, and um, let's just we'll say Dana White owns the UFC, right, or or at least runs the UFC and um 25% 25% of your people that are going to the UFC want to be able to use the dollar to go into the UFC. Are you going to overvalue or undervalue that dollar? You're going to overvalue that dollar, right? Because it it's 25% of your customer base where everybody else, China 17%, other countries are a lot less GDP. Their currency is not as important. So the, 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 the idea that, that Bitcoin creates this currency that can't be regulated or, or manipulated and also can't can't grow the asset, right? Because there's only going to be, what, 21 million or 22 million Bitcoins ever produced. Um, there's a scarcity in that. And, 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 and you're fully right, um, Kenny, that, that that scarcity could create value. But let's also understand that like, if you invested in NVIDIA, right, at the same time you invested in Bitcoin, you would have not only have made significantly more money, but that company actually generates return, meaning meaning the company generates cash flow. And when you invest in something, you want cash flow from it. So if you buy real estate as an example, right? That's that's an appreciating asset. There's only so much real estate um, that exists, but it's also tangible and it's also useful, meaning you can live in a house, right? When it comes to Bitcoin, 
no offense, but this is factual. It doesn't generate cash flow. So when you buy like NVIDIA, now NVIDIA you know, made $30 billion last year. It's now making $60 billion this year. There's a reason the stock price is going up because the company is becoming more valuable on a multiple. And that's why when I say, if you want to invest or, excuse me, gamble with Bitcoin, okay, which you're gambling on price, you're not, you're not buying cash flow, right? You're just simply buying it because of scarcity, right? And because blockchain is a great way of making sure that there's no centralized currency. But at the end of the day, there is no cash flow. And so anytime you buy Bitcoin, and, and, the, and the, the issue that I have with crypto is that people start to think of it as, well, I should have all my money in, in this, right? No, you want to gamble with 5 or 10% of your assets? Go for it. I, I have no issue with you buying Bitcoin. I do have an issue if you're putting 80, 90, 100% of your money in Bitcoin. Um, because there is a chance, there is a chance that because the US dollar is such a significant thing and, and, and the US is so dominant in the global world, that Bitcoin eventually goes away. There is a chance. You might call how, how it- do you how, how would how would you how would you explain that Bitcoin would go away at this point? It was started in 2009. It was at zero cents and is now let's see fifty two thousand four hundred and forty dollars. What's the return on that compared to Nvidia, Evan? So, so uh, significantly lower, actually. No, 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 no. Uh, Let's do the back from well, zero. Nvidia, from zero, Nvidia, Nvidia was trading at three dollars a share, and now Nvidia is trading at eight hundred. Okay, so let, let's say, what do you think the future is of Nvidia compared to Bitcoin? So, if I let's say, uh, okay, what's the percentage going from zero percent to a uh, zero cents per Bitcoin yep. to fifty two thousand four hundred? Can, can you do the math on that? What's what's the percentage of that? Yep. So, so to answer your question with NVIDIA, um, do you believe that AI is going to be around in the next six months, year, five years, 10 years? Yes or no? Uh, yes. I, th- I think it will be around for a while. For a while? Yeah. And then, and then yeah. it, will go, it will go away? We're just going to no, get rid I, of it, AI? I, I think it will be forever. I don't think Bitcoin is going to go away. That's no, no, sure. no, no. But yeah. I'm just asking you on AI. So, so NVIDIA has a purpose other than Bitcoin mining, which is also why NVIDIA stock went up, by the way. Um, NVIDIA's, NVIDIA's microchips are very important. Mining chips, yes. Very yeah. important. Um, and it's part of the reason that NVIDIA exploded in 2018, 2019, 2020, as Bitcoin did. So if you actually look at a side-by-side chart, which again, I didn't know we were going to go this deep into it, but I would have would have had that ready for you. Um, it's significantly more. Um, but regardless, regardless of that, you're buying something that produces cash flow. So if you're simply buying Bitcoin because you go, well, it's zero now, it's 50,000. Um, there's something called tulip mania <laughs> a long time ago that did the same exact thing. Well, could you, can um, you explain a tulip that's gone more than 15 years? Yes. Has there ever yeah, been a tulip, tulip, tulip that's gone 15 years? Tulip, tulip mania did now. Now, when you say Bitcoin went fifteen, hold it on a second, <laughs> Kenny. When you when you say Bitcoin's gone for fifteen years, yeah, you're 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 really talking the last five or six years. It's really really gone. Okay, the first and, and, few years it, it it went, but it didn't it didn't go. Like let's, Evan, let's be honest. I would say Evan, I would say this. I think you need to do a little bit more research on on Bitcoin itself. Okay. And this is the problem. When you're a financial advisor, your yep. incentive is you make money off of other people investing with you, do you not? Yes. Okay. So I have other people who uh, offer to invest money with me. I have out I have made way more money putting money in Bitcoin 
than I have in anything else. If you, you, you might have dealt with some bad, you might have dealt you, with some bad financial if, advisors. If you take, if you take two percent, here's here's a crazy stat. Yep. If you take two percent of your money, yep, and you and you and you put it into Bitcoin, that's just two yep. percent, right? Yep. You take two percent of your money and yep. you put in Bitcoin over the course of four years. It's essentially it's, it's essentially outmade every other investment out there. If 100%. you are if you are dealing with inflation, right, and yep. you have someone who's going, okay, uh, I'm paying you five hundred thousand dollars a year, and you're dealing with a dollar that is inflating at three four percent. Like if someone says they're going to pay you a certain amount of money, and you have a central bank that is responsible for either uh, inflating the the dollar or you know putting it, so you have this trust that you need to rely on central yep. banks or the Fed to make sure that they're not stealing from you slowly over time. Yep. If you put it into Bitcoin, you have a fixed protocol yep. that is a fixed scarce asset that will never dep- that will never go down. You you can rely on that whoa, to, whoa, be, whoa, 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 to go down. Kenny, 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 you just supply. said that something will never go down. No, no, no. The supply will never yeah, the supply go down. Will. Well, can, I, can, I, can, can you answer this? Yeah. There, there, there's, there's over 4 million Bitcoins that are missing. Okay. Where are uh, they? That are, that are locked up that people no, can't get access to. No, they, they don't to, know yeah. where they are. They don't know where they are. There's no, no tracking is, of those 4 that, million. That is incorrect. That is incorrect. That that is not actually. Show me. Show it's me the for, tracking. It's for you could actually look it out on chain. You yep. can actually see everything that is yep. out there. And they there's four million. To, they can't have access to. There's it four million bitcoins that are missing. Lost it on their password. There's four exactly. The same way, the don't same you think way, that's an you, issue? The same way. If you wait, have wait, a wait, hold safe, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me you explain this, Evan. If you, you have there's a safe an issue and you put money in a safe and you're the idiot who lost that fucking code to open up the safe. Yep. Who's the idiot? The money that's in there or the person that put the money in there? I, right. I know a lot of people that have money lost in money in saves. But here's right. my point. And, and I think you said it perfectly, but then you kind of counteracted it, which you said 2% of your assets. I agree. I've said all along, you want to buy 2% of your assets in Bitcoin. Great. Right. I don't right. think you make a bad argument with the 2%. Here's the what are you doing with the other 98% of your assets? I think, I think NVIDIA is an, is an awesome investment. You cannot doubt the return that it is that is gained. Um, absolutely, I think artificial intelligence is going to be here forever. Um, however, I would also argue that if you think that a new digital class like Bitcoin, if you don't think with like I don't know what is there eight hundred nine hundred trillion dollars of wealth out there right now, if you don't think one percent of that, let's take one percent of nine hundred trillion, isn't going into a fixed asset. The most scarce asset ever created, right? Uh, and you don't think one percent of that is going to go into not, like out of that nine hundred trillion is going to Bitcoin? I think that's ridiculous too. So, what would that do to the price? The the, the issue that that we're also having too is we're combating Nvidia versus, and, and I don't think we do we we should do that. You should own, and again, you've dealt with bad financial advisors. So, why you've lost money? You no, dealt no, with no, bad no. people. I didn't um, lose money. I, I gained some money. Okay. You're, to expect someone to go, okay, well, um, you, you're, here's this person, right? Whether you have a financial advisor or not, how many financial advisors are actually making money like to outpace inflation over the course of 10, 20, many, 30, many, 40 many, years? Many, many, many. I don't think a lot of them if are. If you built the S&P, fi- hold on a second though, Kenny. You don't need a financial advisor to buy the S&P 500. If you bought the S&P 500 since 1958, you outpaced inflation. So so I, I, think, I think we got to calm down a second. And we got to not be defensive over investments. I've already agreed with you. I said it from my initial get-go. Invest 2% of your money in Bitcoin. 
but you should also own some physical gold. You should also own other stocks and other companies that actually make cash flow. No argument you can ever make. There, you can go to any Bitcoin conference. I've gone to them all. I've debated Bitcoin experts. There's no cash flow. There's just scarcity. There's scarcity of that. And that is why that's your, that's your only debate. It's the only debate you can make is that it's, it's, it's a scarcity. Now, I will counteract that there's other cryptocurrencies that, in my opinion, might be better cryptocurrencies long term because they're built into a less scarcity of asset. If I lived in a small town in Chile, I think I should have access to Bitcoin. And I think I would have more of my money in Bitcoin than I would in the Chilean dollar. Okay. But in the United States of America, where we actually have, again, it's because of our GDP. You got to, and, and also the, the, the one constraint that you have to also think about. And again, I don't want to be the anti Bitcoin. You're the pro Bitcoin. I, I mean, we could have that debate all day. I, but again, it will always come down to cash flow with me and diversification. I, I wonder why BlackRock and Fidelity are, are, are ha- have these ETFs for Bitcoin. I, I wonder they make if money. Maybe, maybe they don't see it. They make money. Absolutely. Because they know people are going to buy it. Why does, why does Vanguard and BlackRock own 50% of the land in the United States? They make yeah, money. They make money, um, right, of course. Yeah, they so, they so, want to make money. So either they're making money or they're not. Is there, is Jamie, there Diamond, Jamie, Diamond, not? Jamie Diamond, who happens to be one of the most brilliant minds in finance today, um, wants Chase to give access to Bitcoin, but he doesn't believe in it. He wants to make money on it. Okay. Again, I, I also want, want you to know that when you go and you buy Bitcoin, you're also having to buy it somewhere, right? And you're having to pay something to buy it. So the, con- the, the conversation that, well, advisors don't make money on it, that's why they don't pitch it. it. That's not necessarily accurate either. There's exchanges that do. And how many of those big exchanges go out of business or go bankrupt or we're, we're in fraud? FTX. You know how many people really believed in FTX? How many of them are sitting on their hands going, man, yeah. if I would have listened to Evan Mayer and just put 2% of my assets, or I listened to Kenny and put 98% of my assets in that, how am I feeling about that? So it's not... As a financial planner and as, as a fiduciary of money, it's not necessarily always about hitting home runs and scarcity of something. It's how can I put money for clients away where they're diversified, they're beating inflation long term, okay, and their money is safe. And, and I, I agree with you that the dollar could blow up any day, right, or any year that fiat currency just goes away. I mean, America is going more and more into debt. Republican, Democrat, they don't care. They're printing money. Money's getting printed. And, and, but for you to change the entire financial system, you're talking about a nuclear holocaust. It wouldn't be good for any of us. Evan Mayer with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. A little contentious with Ken Flo on the Bitcoin conversation. By the way, Evan hosts an outstanding financial podcast for advisors, by advisors. I love the name, sort of a playoff of FUBU. But I was in your studio last week, and I just think you do such a great job preparing and hosting and inflecting. I like your voice. So be sure to check out for advisors, by advisors. Before I let you go, and this might be a difficult question to ask because I do think when it comes to this UFC roster and mixed martial arts athletes around the world, there's such a huge spectrum in terms of their financial situation. So I guess I'll ask in a broad sense, if you are a UFC fighter who maybe has saved twenty-five dollars or $50,000, or maybe you haven't saved that much money, they're all independent contractors. Is it your advice for them to start an LLC or an S Corp? And if they want to just sort of get off the ground floor with investing, is there any advice you would have for those individuals? 
Yeah, hundred um, percent. And and obviously, you always want to open up some sort of of business shell, whether it's an an LLC or or, or um, you know an S corp. But by the way, there's no there's something called file subchapter S corp as far as everything flows through to your personal taxes. But you should always have some sort of corporation uh, or shell. And part of that is is your ability to write off things like your travel and things that are needed for business expenses. So. Um, all UFC fighters, in my opinion, should should have some sort of 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 company shell. Yes, um, because it will protect them um, not only on their assets, but their ability to write things off and expense things through their corporation, which is a lot easier to do than to expense things on a personal level. Um, two, investing is important no matter what size asset you have. Um, if you are making, you know, as you said, twenty five, fifty thousand dollars to put away. Yeah, buy a little Bitcoin. Again, no issue with buying a little Bitcoin. Put some money in an S&P SPY, you know, ETF or index fund. The index tends to be most financial portfolio managers. 98% of portfolio managers lose to the S&P. The S&P is cheap uh, to buy. An ETF might cost you, you know, 10 basis points a year or 0.10 a year. You know, very low, you know, fee that you have to pay to get in there to be able to diversify your money? Should you own other things? Gold? Should you own bonds? Should you own other investments that maybe don't have the same volatility as the overall stock market? The answer is yes. Um, Diversification is key. Um, Seeing a good financial planner is key. Um, And it's, you know, the the, the one problem in our our business and, and, you know, no beating around the bush. If you don't have a lot of assets to get started, it's hard to get a good financial advisor. So you might deal with people that are bad financial advisors that are only incentivized to sell you something as Kenny Kenny brought up earlier a fee based good financial planner that that won't be very costly comes once you hit the six digits seven digits eight digit you know asset size so as you're growing and you're you're in the the lower income bracket uh situation you're better off buying index funds or ETFs or things along those lines than seeing a financial planner until you probably hit that 100 200 300,000 minimum mark where you can start to deal with a de- decent financial advisor that's going to be able to produce better returns and also protect you long term. 20 year olds and 30 year olds tend to not think about like, hey, how's this money going to work for me in my 50s, 60s, 70s? Right. They tend to think about growth like, hey, how do I make the most money? Bitcoin is very attractive to younger people because of that excitement or that ability to grow your assets. But as you start making real wealth and you hit the seven, eight digit numbers, at 45, 50 years old, to have significant amount of your money fluctuating where it can go from 60,000 down to 20,000 in a matter of a year, that's kind of scary when you yeah. watch a $10 million portfolio drop to $2 million, right? So when your asset size starts to grow, diversification becomes important. But I would say in the beginning, start with some index funds. Um, Vanguard does a phenomenal job uh, as, as you know, I'm not not plugging Vanguard here, uh, but they do a phenomenal job at low cost. Fidelity does, a, 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 you know, a, a great job at low cost uh, ETFs uh, to be able to get started. FortunaWealth.com, the founder and CEO, Evan Mayer, for advisors by advisors. I learned so much just sitting down with you before we even went on your podcast. I profess a lot of ignorance when it comes to everything that you guys are discussing. And one thing I'll just say, I bought Bitcoin as high as 62,000, right? And it did go down into the twenties and now it's up above 50. So, uh, I just think the gambler in me loves buying that shit every chance I get. But Evan, we appreciate the insight very much. If you want more from Evan Mayer and why would you not 
for advisors by advisors, wherever you download your podcast. Appreciate the time, my man. And uh, I will see you soon. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I appreciate it. There he is, Evan Mayer with us, the founder and CEO of Fortuna Wealth. If you want access to his services, go to FortunaWealth.com. And his clientele, I think, is probably north of 60-year-old people on average, right? Certainly for me, when I was in my 20s and 30s, you know, I'm just trying to pay my fucking rent. You know, the last thing I was thinking about was trying to invest. But uh, better to get ahead of it than to be behind it. But we got to get on out of here. Thank you to our guests today, Ray Longo, Brian Petrie, Kieran Portley, and of course, Evan Mayer. We are right back with you next Monday, March 4th. And that's going to be a big one as we get you primed for UFC 299 O'Malley versus Vera coming up March 9th from Miami, Florida. Here is our one more sleep design for UFC 299. You can get that right now at johnannick.com, our merchandise store for all of the Anik and Florian podcast stuff is available right now 20% off with promo code one more sleep also check out kenny florian martial arts.com argus integrated defense and anr tactics as well thank you to our executive producer cody merrill for ken Flom, john and we will talk to you next monday in advance of ufc 299 enjoy the fights this weekend until then you'll live Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.